0: Or they try to
1: What's up, everybody, and welcome to Anime Baby, where we stay together always. This is your host, representing the year of the dog, Mikey. And join with me, as always, is...
2: Representing the year of the rooster, it is
1: your co-host, Wolfish Grin, Ryan. And, this, and on this episode, our first proper episode of 2020, we'll be talking all about one of the biggest hits of 2019 in a series that's been a long time coming. I'm, of course, referring to the reboot of Fruits Basket. Yes, what a big one for us to tackle ah, too. It's a huge one, and, and
2: and only a and only a section of it too. You know, it's a big expanded It's a big, very big story
1: to cover. You know, mm-hmm. and uh, even with this reboot, they were only able to cover so much. Yep, no, just uh, the first season. Of yep, the only right the here. first season. Well, first things first is, of course, a little bit of the background. So let's talk a bit about Natsuki Takia. Natsuki Takia from Tokyo, born and raised. Draw manga is how she spent most of her days. She wanted to be a manga artist ever since she was in the first grade because she was inspired by her sister at the time. She would make her debut in 1992 and would begin her career proper in 1994 with a series called Phantom Dream, which ran until 1997. The year after she started Phantom Dream, she also started another series called Tsubasa Those With Wings, which ran simultaneously with each other and ended one year after Phantom Dream in 1998. After doing two different manga series, each with a respectable three-year runs, Takia would begin work on what would be her magnum opus, that of course being Fruits Basket. So, Fruits Basket began in July of 1998 in Hanata Yume and ran all the way to November 2006 with a grand total of 136 chapters and 23 volumes. Really? It lasted that long into 2006, huh? Yeah. I huh, didn't know it lasted that long. I don't know, maybe it's
2: one I. I, I, guess, it's, I guess I only really knew it more from like the anime because it feels like. One of those, like, older ones, you know, so I figured, naturally, it probably would have ended around that time, too, or something. Right. But, as it is with a lot of manga, (laughs) just just kept chugging along, you know. Uh Uh-huh, no one's ever truly dead. Well, well, no, some series have ended, at least. Mm. Like, you gotta give credit. Shokugeki no Soma ended, Uh, so did
1: Assassination Classroom. Right. But, uh, no, it sounds like it had a pretty respectable run. Yeah, very much so. Yeah, it would go on to be one of the best-selling shoujo manga in Japan, the top-selling shoujo manga in North America, and in 2001, Takia would receive the Kodansha Manga Award for shoujo manga. <laughs> yeah. Really
2: doing a lot for
1: shoujo manga. Yeah, it's, a, it's no secret that she had a huge hit on her hands, and with the series getting this much acclaim, it's, it was only a matter of time until it received an anime adaptation like most successful ma- manga series. And an anime adaptation, it did receive. As on July fifth, two thousand and one, the Fruits Basket anime began airing, and was directed by Akitaro Daichi and produced by Studio Dean. So this is the original original series.
2: Yes, yes, an original that unfortunately I did not watch. Yeah, like when I for for our podcast today, I went into the, I went into the twenty nineteen anime without having watched the original anime so it was the whole
1: story was very fresh for me ah very good so yeah this series the series ran for uh, 26 episodes ending on december 27th 2001 and the following year the anime was licensed by funimation one of their earlier licenses because before then they only really did the dragon ball series and yu yu hakusho and it was released over the course of four dvd volumes from october 2002 to may 2003 so yeah, the the days before streaming at Simul Dubs were a much different time.
2: Yeah, very different time. Very archaic by today's standards. Yeah, where like every D V D set was like like a holy grail you had to search for.
1: Yeah, go to like either a Best Buy or at the bare minimum an FYE store. And you had to and you had to pay a king's ransom for them as well. Yeah, fifty bucks were at least like what, six episodes? <laughs> God. Those were dark times. Those were. And, like, I remember seeing a commercial for the original series, and uh, it was on an old VHS tape when it came out. So, yeah, (laughs) you can tell how long ago that was. Ooh, jeez. Did you ever find that commercial again? I did, because Funimation uh, re-released it on their uh, website when they were uh, re-releasing the original series on uh, Blu-ray, so they kept it around for a while. Oh, what a blast from the past. Yeah, like, I remember specifically the VHS I saw this on. It was an old uh, videotape of Yu-Gi-Oh! Because Funimation had the uh, distribution rights for the Yu-Gi-Oh! anime. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, God, yeah, I remember the old tapes. So imagine me, little, what, 8 or 9-year-old Mike Jr. popping in a Yu-Gi-Oh! VHS, and then I see this little trailer of... A Fruits Basket that I have no idea what it is. All I see is just some imagery of, like, the Chinese Zodiac and just the character saying, Hi, my name's Toro Honda. I was born in the year of the dog. You know what? I could do you one even better. I got in the mail a preview VHS tape <gasps> of Cubix. Oh my god, you got <laughs> one of those? I got one of those. <laughs> oh, I've heard stories of, like, people getting preview tapes, and I'm just like, how do you get one of these? Well, I, like, I actually had it, but, like, I... I think we got rid of
2: it. Oh,
0: no. And, I'm,
2: and, like, nowadays, I'm thinking, like, why didn't we save that? I could have had, like, a gold mine on me.
1: Oh, man. I would have
2: cherished that never sold it. I would have put, <laughs> put it in my collection. It's like you don't even have a VCR anymore, but it's like, who cares? You have it. Well, I think I think my fam- I think my parents do still have a, a VHS plane uh, TV set oh, back home. Okay. That I've that I've wanted my dad to not get rid of for so long. <laughs> Cause I'm just like, no, what if we find like a gold mine one day or something? <laughs> Well naturally want to pl- want something to play it on <laughs> But yeah I got one of those like fabled preview tapes And of all things was for fucking Cubics <laughs> <laughs> That old like Korean
1: cartoon on Kids WB Starring the, uh, the main actor from Book of Mormon In the dub
2: Oh yeah you better believe it yeah, Andrew Reynolds
1: <laughs> Robots for everyone <laughs> <laughs> I can't fucking do the jingle But you get it Yeah <laughs> But yeah, I saw the original commercial for Fruits Basket back when it was starting to come out, but it wouldn't be until 2011 when I actually watched it. And in fact, uh, I remember back in high school, I would tell you all about it and saying, like, yo, this is, like, so friggin' good, it's so sweet and sincere and everything. Yeah, you, you did regale
2: me with stories about
1: how good that series was. Yeah.
2: And I'd always heard about how good it was, but naturally it was one of those shows that, like, it was hard for me to get a hold of, and it's like... I think there was like just other stuff I was getting into at the time. Probably One Piece, yeah. <laughs> More than likely, let's Most be likely. honest, it was probably One Piece. <laughs> it's almost always One Piece with me. <laughs> but yeah, one I had always put off put off for so many years, you know. And you know, I, I guess I was a little afraid that um, it would be one of those series that would sort of fade off into the ether, as we see with, uh, as we've maybe seen with like some works in recent years. You know, where like they're, they're they're like old '90s anime or something, but like they don't really they don't really have any like
1: vested interest in like a fan base from like a fan base in the modern era. You yeah, know? like for fans like us, where we're mostly we mostly didn't begin our anime fandoms until like at least like the late 20-aughts or like early 2010s, really. Like they
2: mostly exist in like this realm, like they're they're more remembered rather than actively enjoyed, yeah. enjoyed today. Yeah, you know, by people like us, still millennials, we don't really care about this stuff. <laughs> <laughs> well cuz there's so much more there's so much new stuff to consume today. So much better today. new stuff, yeah. There's so much new stuff to consume it's today. It's like why watch
1: Revolution Revolutionary Girl Utina when I can watch new stuff like Fire Force or Stalker Stone. I know, it's like why watch like Haruhi
2: Suzumiya when there's like so many other shows to consume, like there like
1: countless other anime that, of that variety that have existed since then. So this series would go on to be a big hit, like uh, the manga, despite it only covering a part of the manga as it was still going on at the time. Unfortunately, the anime, after it ended, it didn't receive a second season. Uh, the fans really wanted it, though. In fact, in 2005, Funimation started a project calling for convention attendees from all their cons from that year to fold 1,000 paper cranes, because, you know, in Japanese folklore, folding 1,000 cranes would grant someone a wish. Right. And in this case, that which was another season of Fruits Basket. And they would succeed. They had a thousand cranes by the end of the 2005 convention season. And they sent them over to Studio Dean to show that there was still a demand for Fruits Basket, especially here in the West.
2: Please don't tell me they all got, like, sunk in a ship or something and never Uh, made it.
1: Aw, man, they're at Bill's house.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Very next day,
1: Bill walked out of his house with a giant solid gold T-Rex.
2: what the hell is this?
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, yeah, their actions fell on deaf ears. What happened? Like, why wouldn't there be more fuse basket? It's it's super popular. Was praised for being heartfelt, emotional, full of great humor. You know, there's no denying its popularity, and you know people loved it. And I'm I'm sure Natsuki Takia loved it too, right? Right. Uh, wait, did she? Well. Oh, no. (laughs) The thing is, Takia actually really disliked the original anime. Oh, really? Yeah, it was mostly because she and the director, Akitaro Daichi, really butted heads constantly uh, during production to the point where they just drove each other mad. Seriously? Yeah, they disagreed on a number of aspects of the show, you know, such as even simple stuff as like uh, the voice cast or certain characters' clothing, you know? and also the show's use of comedy like uh, they they especially put edits on
2: that. Yeah, like who like what was the dynamic? Like did she want less comedy? She wanted less
1: comedy and Akitaro Daichi wanted more comedy. Oh, I'm guessing he he wanted to be more one of those kinds of animals. Yeah, he anime. wanted to be he kind of wanted to run my one half it. Oh, so like he just yeah, he wanted to, he wanted it to be something more lighthearted like that. Mm-hmm. And yeah, she wasn't a big fan of it cuz she felt it was too wild and prominent and to be honest, she do, she does have a point. Oh, like can you send? Like, does some of that actually come through in the old anime? Yeah, like it's it's kind of nuts in the old anime. Like, I still enjoy it, but it's just like okay. If you're someone who didn't want this to be strictly a comedy, then I can totally see like why you would not like this. Oh, okay. And, on- and honestly, why would they even need that? They had shows
2: like Azumanga Dayo yeah! back then. You know, like you didn't like you. Of course, you had like Ranma One Half that had already existed. Like. You didn't need to fill a niche that was already
1: filled. Right. So it's just. Ugh. It's just. I bet you he probably just, like, Daichi wanted to, like, throw his name into the conversation of, like, anime like that. Probably just wanted something predictable that would, like, return, like, a reliable profit. You know, this is something that it's pretty easily digestible that anyone can get into. Right, right. But yeah, neither of them have fond memories of working on the show, so it was no surprise that they just, like, okay, we're not doing this again. No second season.
0: Mmm.
2: And just to to clarify, do you know how much story the the anime then covered over the whole, like, one-fourth
1: of the overall story, a third? To compare it to the reboot, it covers just about the exact same amount of stuff. Like, it ends roughly around the same time the reboot ends. Mm. But they do leave out some notable stuff that I will bring up. Mm. And they also do, like, uh, they also kind of pad out some things, and they also do filler in some places right right which is weird because the original anime is actually longer than the reboot by one episode <laughs> really yeah uh didn't know that <laughs> yeah and also to add to a lot of the uh you know the hard feelings between uh takia and daichi and also the whole production is that uh, around the time uh, takia actually broke her uh, left hand which is her drawing hand and had to get surgery and because of this the series won on hiatus so that's why she focused a lot of her time on being a part of the production mm. and also there was enough an, and also to add to uh, why there wasn't a second season if the anime did continue then it would have overtaken the manga and it would have been a whole 2003 full metal alchemist situation oh so
2: they would have had to make up their own content yeah without the author's like input yeah and also with a series oh. with the a
1: series like this, you you can't do that.
2: No, it's it's like like the the character like the character interactions are like so tightly written, like the arcs, you know,
1: between everyone, mm-hmm. they're all like structurally sound. Yeah, and you cannot just wing that. And also, Taki, it has like a lot of long term booking and planning. And like, if you have done that, you would have thrown all of it out the window. Right, right. Oh, it sucks that
2: like it was that kind of anime that they had to like do that for. Yeah, but on the other hand, it's probably for the best that they did not, <laughs> in the end, get crappy content that, like, where they were just winging it. Mm-hmm. I would have preferred to, like, I'm glad that it would have just, like, ended
1: right there rather than getting to that point. Right. However, it didn't mean that there wouldn't be any more Fruits Basket anime in general, as in November 2018, it was announced that Fruits Basket would receive a reboot of the anime, and I remember that day that it was announced, I was scrolling through Twitter, and I saw the promotional images and the Funimation Twitter account saying, Fruits Baskets coming back, I was just, like, I was so fucking hype. I was over the moon, like, going, oh, my God! <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because, like, what was the mindset, like, going into that reboot? The mindset was basically, like, uh, they were kind of going to full Metal Alchemist Brotherhood it. Just redo it again from the beginning and do it right this time and have it completely as faithful to the manga as possible. Ah, okay. You know, understandable, because it ended by that point. Yeah, you know, you know it's, it's like been some like years have passed. 20 years, nearly. Right, and right It's like we want to do something for fans of the manga and fans of the original series You know, people who grew up with it But we also want to make something for people who are new to Fruits Basket like yourself And I'm sure there's like, yeah, the, like I'm sure the nostalgia factor was like a mm. big part of it, you know But
2: yeah, that still seemed like a pretty proper amount of time to pass really for like a remake yeah. It
1: sounded natural to me Like It really it did. sounded. It sounded like pretty okay Like I said, a long time coming so it would be coming back starting in April 2019, and yeah, like I said, this time around it would be covering the entire manga series, you know, like, it's gonna cover the entire story from beginning to end while being split up into seasons. And also this reboot would be handled by an entirely new crew and also voice cast, because, you know, due to Takia's disappointment with, with the original, she was just like, okay, if we're gonna do this, we gotta start from the ground up, we need, like, a new studio, new crew working on this, we need new cast members, we gotta do this entirely from the ground up. And this new series will be handled by TMS Entertainment, so see our Megalobox episode to hear more about TMS. Oh yeah, they delivered well there, so mm-hmm. you can expect them to deliver well here. Absolutely. And the reboot will now be directed by Yoshihide Ibata, whose previous directorial works include Attack on Titan Junior High, fuck you, I liked it. <laughs> and one, and he was one of the directors of Fully Coolly Progressive. Really? Yeah, he nice. uh, did episode 4, the one where it had uh, Hidomi acting all weird and cute and also the uh the really uh, cool fight between Haruko and Geniu.
0: Oh, how cool. Yeah, and also
1: I think he handled the uh directorial work for when they uh combined Progressive, the progressive of episodes into a movie when it uh, was shown in theaters. Oh, I could maybe see a little bit of that influence there. So as for Natsuki Takia, she would serve as chief production supervisor, which basically means she she's extra hands-on on this series, you know, this is her baby, she's got to make sure everything goes smoothly and comes out right and stays true to her vision. Yeah, hopefully so. Like, did she did she come up with, like, any other works, like, since then, or? Uh, since Fruits Basket, she only ever came out with, like, a Fruits Basket spinoff called Fruits Basket Another, and that's pretty much it. Mmm, okay, so Fruits Basket's kind of been her baby for all that's these years. That's her baby, her magnum opus. Yep. And so the reboot aired from April 6th, 2019 until September 21st, 2019, and was licensed by Crunchyroll and Funimation for streaming, with uh, Crunchyroll airing the Japanese version while Funimation produced the English dub. And while the Japanese version featured an entirely new cast, the dub went out of the way to bring back as many actors as they could for the new series like they only had to recast a, a small handful of characters mostly because original actors either retired moved away from texas or some grew up and couldn't play the characters anymore or in some cases they just wanted to go in a different direction sir li- life and circumstances you know yeah because like i said it's been 20 years yeah long time and also this time around the dub will be going with a new adr director and scriptwriters, because the original series dub was directed by justin cook and written by john bergmeyer And the reboot is now directed by Caitlin Glass and written by Bonnie Klinkenbeard and Jeremy Kratz. Oh, that's in good hands, then. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Bonnie Klinkenbeard, she handles like a lot of the bigger name titles for Funimation. Like, I know she's worked on like the Fullmetal Alchemist series. And Jeremy Kratz, he handles the dub scripts for uh, My Hero Academia. Hmm, okay. So, with all that out of the way, we're talking the reboot of Fruits Basket and the original series, too, somewhat, because I've watched that alongside this, so I'll be drawing comparisons between the two, so without further ado, and let's start the show.
0: As we drink up this wonder
3: Dog. My mom recently passed away, and since then I've been invited to live with the Soma family. I'm finding out that each member of the family is unique and different in their own ways. And for me, it's just fun to be making so many new friends. Although, they don't always look at each other as friends. Then I found out the Soma family's secret.
4: We've lived with this curse for generations. When we're hugged by a member of the opposite sex, we transform into the 12 animals of the Chinese Zodiac and the cat. There is, however, a darker secret. I believe
5: I will trust Miss (laughs) Honda.
3: See you then.
1: Yeah, first things first, get stuck about the opening and the ending for this first half of the series. The opening is again by Beverly, and the ending is lucky ending by Vicky Blanca. Uh, by the way, the the people who did the ending, do they uh, does, does the name ring a bell to you by any chance? Wait, yeah, Vicky Blanca, you know, not super familiar. They they did an uh, an opening to a show we covered previously within the past year.
4: Really, within the past
1: year. It's not coming back to me. I'll give you a hint. I'll hum a few bars of their song.
0: do 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 Black Clover!
1: Oh, God. (laughs) Yeah, they did the third opening to Black Clover, and they do the ending to uh, Fruits Basket, and the ending is actually pretty freaking phenomenal, in my my opinion. (laughs) Oh, yeah, that's quite good. It's like, I listen to that, and I'm just like, how? How do they go from friggin' Black Clover They were working with Black
2: Clover, okay? You gotta take that into account. Well,
1: you could've at least tried.
2: No, they didn't. They didn't need <laughs> to try. It was Black Clover. There is no try. They looked at that and they were like, okay, this is something we only need to put a minimal amount of effort into.
1: <laughs> but this is Fruits Basket we're talking yeah. about. We put in effort. We're putting in heart for this. Yeah, and both of these songs are really good. Like, uh, they kind of draw comparisons to, like, the uh, the original opening and ending to the, the original series where I have, like, these very... Slow, almost bowed-like songs. Yeah, yeah. I mean, God, it just gets you in the mood for the series. Like you're gonna be in for like a. It's it's gonna tug at your heartstrings. A it's bit. just so heartwarming. It's like you hear this, and it's almost like you're being you're being cradled in like a big, soft, warm. You're blanket. being serenaded. You know, it's so it's it's so wonderful. Yeah. So I'll start off with some, uh, before we get into, like, uh, episodes and whatnot, uh, I want to talk about some, uh, basically some big key differences between the original and the reboot. So first thing is, uh, pacing feels a lot faster in the original. Like, here, it feels like, uh, the anime, the reboot kind of, you know, takes time and whatnot, but the pacing, it kind of feels like breakneck pace at some, at certain points where it's, like, there's barely any moments of just, like, you know, characters just being quiet or not talking. It almost feels like scene 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 scene
2: scene oh my god really because like i watched this i watched this entire anime and by the end i felt like
1: everything was perfectly paced yeah like overall direction is night and day between these two seriously yeah like i can't imagine going at a much faster pace yeah like i feel the the reboot feels a bit more uh it feels more cinematic and more you know
0: like they're actually taking taking their time with
1: it taking their time with it whereas (laughs) the original kind of feels more like a a lighthearted affair you know more of a comedy like i said because they focus more on comedy in the original series and yeah, like I said, I agree with uh, Takia. as it, the comedic scenes do feel really over-the-top and hyperactive at times, and also more frequent. Like, there are scenes where, like, there aren't any jokes, but they the original anime kind of does sneak in some jokes in there, or at least kind of changes up the animation to that very goofy, chibi style that you see often in anime.
2: I guess that was the time, like, back then it. It was definitely it. a product of the times. Yeah, it was definitely a product of the time where, like, you had to, if you were going to have a slice-of-life anime like that, or something like that with some magical elements. You kind of had to, like, goofy, goofy
1: it up a little bit, you mm-hmm. know? Really hook in people, make it look appealing. Yeah, but uh, I will say it's not like, say, Black Clover, where there's too much comedy that kills the show, because the comedy in Fruits Basket, the original one, isn't necessarily bad, but I say they could have done with some restraint. Mm. And also the reboot, when it does comedic scenes, it actually feels like they're just letting the writing itself carry the scenes, you know?
2: Yeah, because I, I watched this and thought to myself, like, there's enough humor in this. Like, how much more humor could you need?
1: Yeah, because, like, here it's, it's funny, but not zany. Yeah,
2: yeah. Like, sure, you could maybe argue in, like, a couple parts or something, maybe they could hit it a little bit more seriously, but,
1: like, I felt that was overall just right in the series. Yep, and also, uh, another thing is the big difference is animation styles, as the original animation style follows the manga a lot more closely, like, you know, Takia's original artwork. Whereas the reboot tends to go for its own style while taking influence from uh, Takia's, you know, artwork nowadays, you know, because she's redone some of the drawings of re- the original Fruit Bass. Oh, right. Character. Naturally, her style would evolve a little bit over yeah. time. And she prefers this much more because she feels her artwork wasn't that great back then.
2: Well, honestly, I don't know. It feels odd because, like, I, I looked at some, like, the humor of the show and, and I looked at, like, how the, like, some of the ways the uh, artwork kind of swings in parts, you know, especially towards the comedy I had this overwhelming feeling watching the anime that this feels like a, this feels like a 90s anime if it were made today. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, it really does. It had, not just in like the, not just in like the, not just like, it wasn't so much in like the feel of the plot or anything, but it was in like the animation, like there was like, just the the, the angles to like the characters' (laughs) faces and stuff, and like their like overall designs, like something about it felt Familiar. Well like the art style, I still feel like it's it's still got some like angular design. Yeah. Like, it's got some reminiscent designs from that period. Yeah, they do take some but it some, all feels like made today. You they know? do
1: take some influence from her original artwork, but like they try to go for something more, you know, more on their own. Right, right.
2: I just had this overwhelming feeling that like somebody some that they that they were working with designs mm-hmm. from the nineties. And while still trying to maintain that original, the inti- original integrity of that artwork, yeah. kind of smoothed, smoothed out the designs a little bit, slightly, ever Polish so slightly. It up a bit for, like, a 20, 2010s audience. Right, right. It feels like I'm watching just a much more polished 90s yeah. anime. That's what I That's what I kind of felt watching yeah, the series. Yeah, I can see
1: that. So yeah, let's kick off with A Tent in the Middle of the Woods, and in said tent lives Toru Honda, played here by Laura Bailey. Yeah, buddy, welcome back! Holy crap. I like to imagine... The prodigal daughter returns. I like to imagine, you know, Laura Bailey coming back to this as like when, say, Tommaso Ciampa returned to NXT this past year, you know, just swap out Goldie for Toru. She had better... She should have, like, just, like, danced through the office, like, oh, yeah, coming back to Toru, baby. Uh, Toru, mommy's home. (laughs) Oh, my God. I was absolutely elated to hear that she was returning because... Like, since 2007, she moved to L.A. And, like, uh, while she would come back for some roles here and there, like, she was starting to really become engulfed in the uh, the L.A. voice acting scene, like, with, especially within recent years. Mm-hmm, definitely. You know, and, like, uh, within the last decade or so, she's become a union actor. She has worked on not only anime, but, like, Western cartoons, you know, bit parts, major parts. Like, she's even the official voice actor for Black Widow now.
2: Yeah, it's, like, she's actually really been expanding more into... Uh, I've seen her expanding more into, like, um... Like like uh, American made productions and stuff, you know, mm-hmm. you know. I I I did appreciate her in Tales from the
1: Borderlands, which is for Telltale Games, you know. Mm-hmm. And of course, Black Widow is always cool. Yep, yeah, she's also in a lot of other video games like uh, Persona Four, Catherine, Saints Row, Fire Emblem, Halo, Gears of War, Sonic. She's the official voice actor for Chun Li in Street Fighter. She has really been getting around, and uh, most recently, she was Mary Jane in the PS4 Spider Man. And this year, yes. She- this year, she's gearing up to be in The Last of Us Part Two, and she'll be playing Black Widow in the Square Enix Avengers game. Holy
2: crap. I, like, honestly, I look I look at that whole career and I think, like, yeah, like, <laughs> why would you go back to anime? And also,
1: I can't forget all the stuff she's been doing with uh, Critical Role.
2: Right, right. She's been working with Critical Role. Like, she, her career has just exploded since then. Don't it's me. no wonder
1: I don't see her as much in anime anymore. Right, <laughs> like, some of her last roles for Funimation were uh, Maka in Soul Eater, which was in 2010, Lust in FMA Brotherhood, also in 2010, and Kid Trunks in DVC-Kai, The Final Chapters, which was recorded in 2014. Right, right. But, uh, no, Cedar come back, and this was her first... Toru is her first leading role in an anime, and to see her come back to this feels me with so much joy. You know, when she first played Toru, like, uh, in the original anime, her only major roles up to that point were Kid Trunks in DBZ and Keiko Yukimura in Yu Yu Hakusho. Oh, yes. So, yeah, big, big deal for her coming back here. And, uh, speaking of Toru, what do you think of her? You know, this, this is where,
2: like, it kind of got into, um, how I've been kind of feeling, you know, in terms of, like, anime and, like, what I can watch, you know, and what I can really get into... Because these days, it's—I admit—it's kind of hard for me to really like get into watching a new anime, especially if it's an old one. Like, I there's—I think it's more just I feel like overwhelmed with so much today, and I'm always like thinking about like, okay, what's what's going to keep me in the discourse? What's going to keep me into like, what's going to keep what's going to keep like my friends interested or vested in mm-hmm. like if I'm going to watch it? You know, like, are they going to be able to relate to it a little bit? You know, you know, I'm a lot more strategic about what I watch. You know. I mean, and also with so much more to watch these days, I'm also a lot easier about saying looking at something and going, okay, I don't need to watch that. (laughs) (laughs) I've been like that with a lot of anime lately, especially with this current season. Right. There's not a whole lot I've really looked at and thought like, uh, like, I'm not, I've just been like, uh,
1: I don't really want to watch that. I have, I have a good handful of stuff that I like, but, like, looking at some of the stuff I'm watching, I'm just thinking, like, yeah, you wouldn't like this. But anyway, my point is, I really need to kick myself in the butt these days
2: to get to watch something. And especially in regards to slight to, uh, sort of slice-of-life anime. Because I was kind of feeling that a little bit with, like, Bloom Bloomin' You, like, the the whole flow of it, and, like, you know, like, wasn't really, like, doing it for me there or something. And I, th- and I was kind of thinking at the time, like... Am I just getting out of slice of life anime? Cause like, this is like the first one I've watched in like so long and I haven't really watched any others that have popped up lately. So I thought like, am I getting out of touch? Am I so out of touch? No, nah, it's the children who are wrong. <laughs> <laughs> but then sure enough, I was getting into, I was watching Fruits Basket and then I saw Toru and I saw, and I saw how delightful she is running around being nice to everybody, empathizing with everybody. Get, putting so much compassion forward, the, the the kind of character that you would see in a Slice of Life anime, and I immediately realized, oh, no, wait, I just needed a, like, a story that really clicked <laughs> with me. I am absolutely on board with this, because Toru won my heart
1: over, very first episode. Oh my god, she is a goddamn saint. Like, as we go through this, you'll come to know why I love her, and you'll know why I say she's actually my favorite anime character of all time. Really? Favorite anime character of all time? Favorite anime character of all time. Like, I even thought of this saying, like, is there anyone better? And I thought, there isn't. She's my favorite anime character. Like, her unbridled optimism and empathy is just so unbelievably endearing. She's always one to put put others before herself, even if she just met them. And I love that even though she's a good person, it's almost to a fault, because, like, she's so selfless that she tends to forget about herself at times. And even though characters call her out on the series, she just doesn't let that bother her.
2: Yes, a... One of those characters that I can adequately say is, like, a good role model to follow and also
1: one to observe and learn from as she uh, progresses along her journey as well. You know, no matter what life throws at her, she just always faces it head-on with a smile on her face. I know. And,
2: like, it's 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 in these episodes, too, that I begin to realize she is uh, sh- the way she is written, too. As with all the characters mm. in the c- char- series are written, uh, they have all aged. Like, the way everyone, every character is written have, like, all aged incredibly well. Right? I mean, I thought, like... Because I thought, like, okay, you know, adapting, like, a work from, like, the 90s, maybe there's some things that wouldn't, like, get over, but then I realized, no, the writing of Fruits Basket really (laughs) is that good to where you can easily remake it, and it is just as relevant now as it
1: it was then. You don't need to adjust it for a modern audience like this. You don't gotta do anything! Nah, just put it on screen and animate it, it fits perfectly. It is perennial. Oh my god. Yes, yeah, Toru. Toru. Yes, Toru. Love her. <laughs> yeah, and like, she's not perfect, but in a way, she kind of is. But she's, no, she's like, she's
2: perfect in how imperfect yeah, she is, yeah. though. Like, I I, I love that. She's like a
1: perfectly, like, just right flawed character, but still so damn likable. Uh, I love Toru so much. But anyway, I'll, leave, I'll save the gushing for later, as uh, Toru leaves her tent in the woods to head to school, but not before saying goodbye to a framed photo of her mom. On her way, she passes by a rather large house and happens to see little painted figures of the Chinese Zodiac animals out on the porch. As Toru takes a closer look, she meets the artist of the figures-slash-owner of the house, Shigure Soma, played here by John Bergmeier, returning from the original series. Toru apologizes for trespassing, but all is forgiven. The two even begin a chat about a bit about the Zodiac and how Toru is very fond of the animals, especially the cat despite it not being an official zodiac animal total fangirl for the entire zodiac canon that's been built up over the years yeah because like the story of it is that all the animals of the zodiac were invited to a banquet but uh the rat told the cat saying like oh no it's not today it's tomorrow so the cat slept the entire day while all the animals went to enjoy the banquet and the cat got left out
2: I think about it, that's, like, the only relevant story that gets, like, tied in with, like, the Zodiac that I find. Like, you know, the monkey wasn't really getting up to anything there. Or, like, the rabbit, really. Mm-hmm. Ox, like, you know, you helped know, out a little bit, I
1: guess. You know, the but... rat rode on the ox, and that's how he got first.
2: But the horse and snake, you know, like, they were all just kind of chilling, you know. It was, like, you know, like, it was, it was like, the rat and the cat that really, um, you know, spiced things up at that party. Right. <laughs> And it's like we have and then the- they all got trapped in talismans, <laughs> and then had to be found by Jackie Chan because they all
1: housed like great power. And you know, magic defeats magic. Magic defeats magic. <laughs> <laughs> got to use it to stop the evil Shindu.
2: <laughs> hey, you may think of Fruits Basket when like you think the Chinese zodiac, but when I think Chinese zodiac, the first thing I think is Jackie Chan adventures because <laughs> that shit was awesome, it's the greatest. <laughs> God, I want to rewatch that again someday. Oh,
1: man, that's the best anime. (laughs) I think the Crackle YouTube channel does actually have some episodes for free. I think they do have episodes from, like, the later seasons, but they don't have the entire series. God damn! (laughs) Get get on that, Crackle. Come on.
2: I know you're not the best streaming service, but... The most
1: forgettable streaming service. Yeah. (laughs) But come on, you gotta step up in some regard. Well, no, I love, uh, we get a little flashback of Toru as, like, a little girl being told the story of the cat by her mom in, like, She felt so bad for the cat that she didn't want to be a Year of the Dog anymore. She wanted to be a cat. And I'm just like, ah, it's so sweet. (laughs) But this conversation is soon interrupted as we're introduced to yuki Soma, Shigure's younger cousin and Toru's classmate, played here by Eric Vale, who also played him in the original. So thoughts on Yuki and Shigure here?
2: Honestly, it was weird when I listened to Yuki, because Eric Vale is doing that quiet, subdued voice. Yeah. And he's, I've known that type of voice. More today from Shigaraki Tomura in My Hero, <laughs> so it was a weird bit of whiplash where I was hearing him do that kind of voice, but it was very sweet and subdued, you know, very kind, mm-hmm. but also like kind of like hiding some emotion behind there, like very vulnerable. It was weird to hear because <laughs> I because like I have been so accustomed to Eric Vale doing that kind of voice as Tomura, so it was just an. And for Shigure's voice actor, uh, what was it? What was it with Bergmeyer? Jo- John Bergmeyer. Bergmeier uh, sounds very. You, you mentioned that like he's like a returning one. Mm-hmm. Sounds very well polished because like oh, yeah. I heard that name, and I was like, that's not a name I'm super familiar with, but
1: I was like, he sounded really well polished. You may be familiar with his name in uh, credits for most Funimation dubs because he's uh, head scriptwriter for uh, Funimation. Like he's basically the one you have to run uh, dub scripts to and get approval from. Oh, really? Yep. And other than that, that. Uh, one of his other famous roles is uh, Ten Shinhan in uh, Dragon Ball. Ah, okay, so that's where So that's where I would have remembered him from. Mm-hmm. And uh, speaking of Dragon Ball, like uh, Eric Vale, Laura Bailey, we have both uh, Future Trunks and Kid Trunks here. <laughs> <laughs> I like that.
6: <laughs> uh,
1: but this all comes as a huge surprise for Toru because, one, Yuki's one of the most popular guys in school. Two, she just so happens to be camping near where he lives and on the land that's owned by his family. And three, he casually and happily walks to school with her as she discovers what a cool guy he is. Though uh, that last bit doesn't sit well with uh, some people. Remember when I said uh, Yuki was one of the popular guys? Well, his uh, popularity is quite large within the female community. And we meet the Prince Yuki Fan Club, a group of girls who all share a common interest in getting squishy over Yuki.
2: Oh, no. Worshippers. One of
1: them. Yeah. (laughs) And also, if you want to see uh, a perfect example of how different the direction between uh, Fruits Basket 2019 and Fruits Basket 2001 is, then uh, the Prince Yuki Fan Club introduction is a good one because... In the original series, when they show up, they kind of have like this really weird uh, cheerleading routine where they're all like, Yuki, Yuki, go Prince Yuki, 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 and they all spell out his name with their bodies and stuff, and they almost do that every time they show up. It's just so weird and over the top, but uh... here, it, here it's much more normal where they just kind of like run up to Toru and say like, hey Honda, you hanging out with our Yuki muffin? What the hell is going on with that? It's almost like a gang or something. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. so Toru gets sworn by the fangirls because how dare she walk to school with Yuki? Ooh, oh, mm, ooh. She's getting her scent all over him. <laughs> yeah. she's, uh, she especially gets an earful from the uh, president of the fan club, Motoko Minagawa, played here by a returning Jamie Markey, which, uh, by the way, interesting thing here is that uh, in the original anime, Motoko didn't actually show up until later in the series. Like, she wasn't here in the scene in the original. Really? Yeah, and also... Come uh also, she has like a much different design, because in the original anime she had brown hair, whereas here she has uh, blue hair. So, uh, but uh, thankfully the fangirls are run off by Toru's two best friends, as we are introduced to Arisa Uotani, originally played by Parisa Fakri, now played by Elizabeth Maxwell, and Saki Hanajima, originally played by Daphne Greer, now played by Jade Saxton. So, first two characters to get recast, and honestly, I think uh, Elizabeth and Jade are much better. I mean, they yeah, from like what they sounded like, they both sounded real solid to me. Yeah, I feel like they just fit the characters a lot better than the original actors, and uh, no disrespect to them. I still think they did a great job, but I feel like just, you know, Elizabeth and Jade, their their performances improved a lot on what they did back then. And to be fair, they have the benefit of having a lot more experience with dubbing anime because uh, Parisa and Daphne, like, they didn't really have much experience with back then because it was still kind of a new thing. Mm-hmm, definitely. Like uh, Daphne Greer, her only other anime role at that time was uh, Marin in DBZ, you know, uh, Krillin's hot girlfriend for a hot minute during the Garlic Junior arc. <laughs> <laughs> what a role. So, <laughs> what a role for the ages. And uh, Parisa Fakri, uh, Uo was actually her first big role in anime, and her only other big role afterwards was, uh, she was uh, Vegeta and Bulma's daughter Bula in... Step into the Grand Tour, Grand Tour, Grand Tour, Step into the Grand Tour, Dragon Ball GT. Uh,
2: <laughs> the collective groan of the Dragon Ball community. <laughs> the redhead stepchild. <laughs> no, the redhead stepchild, they just keep chained up in the basement that nobody talks about. <laughs> and is now like devolved into like a hunchback
1: that <laughs> like, nobody that like is like begging to be released. Uh, and As for the uh, original actors that didn't come back for the reboot is that uh, Daphne Greer, she retired from voice acting after Fruits Basket and moved to New York to become a singer. And Parisa Factory moved to LA to continue an acting career there. And I couldn't really find much of what she's done since then, but I did find out that she was in the game Dying Light. A game I only know about because the two best friends play did a couple of one-offs when it came out five years ago. <laughs>
2: yeah, there are the, there are those actors out there where, like, they're only known for, like, one role and then they, like, go off into a completely different career and just, like... Do whatever you know, but like, yeah. Every now and then, there are those ones that like can't actually return to the role. Uh, the one that always baffles me that by like how incredible it was was Captain Captain Planet's the <laughs> yes! voice actor. It was a I believe like he was I believe who I believe like fucked off to France. Yeah, he did for like a long time and did like a bit of acting and did a lot of acting down there. Uh, even had a role in um, uh, Beyond Two Souls. That's right. Yes, he he played one of the homeless people in there, and then but then comes back to play Captain Planet for the OKKO crossover, (laughs) and he sounds exactly the same as Captain Planet all that time before, sounds just pitch perfect, and actually delivers, like, a great... Bit of pathos to the character.
1: I was like, "What the fuck, dude? What kind of talent have you been hiding from the world all this time?" Or maybe he was just frozen in like a suspended animation since the end of Captain Planet, and then they unfroze him back for the for the crossover. And then his voice acting again. powers
2: was locked away in like the five rings
1: of power, yeah. and they all called upon his power <laughs> to bring back Captain Planet. You know, the cast of uh, OKKO did the uh, let our powers combine, and they brought him back. <laughs> Uh, but anyway, what do you think of Uo-chan and Hanachan? chan
2: Oh, these two are delightful. These two are absolutely delightful. Like I, I'm, I'm, I'm always a sucker for misfits that like don't that are like friends with each other that you wouldn't think would click together. Mm-hmm. And because like you know, it's one thing if you get if you get like like characters that are just like you know just like regular old people or something. But when you amp it up to like uh, a girl who is like who like has like gang gangster like tendencies and a girl who's like into like magic or something <laughs> and can sen- and like can sense people's emotions like psychic wavelengths and but like it just does something for me it does something for me where you like you combine those two with an absolute cinnamon roll of a character <laughs> You got these three things that should conflict, but, like, they work together in perfect harmony, man. Oh, absolutely. I, I absolutely adore it. It's, it's so adorable. They're the greatest best friends,
1: and I just love... And the
2: rapport! Have. And the rapport they have with each other, the way they, like, interact with each other, you, you can tell there's so much history between them too. Yes. You can immediately tell from the get-go that these characters have a history... Just because of how
1: chummy they are with each other, and I just love how much they love Toru. Like they're just so protective of her. They're kind of, they're like her big sisters. Their bonds are like just airtight. Mm-hmm. It's del- it's a delight to watch. Uh, so during a home ec class, you're gonna learn a bit more about Yuki through Uo and Hana. As apparently, despite being quite popular with the ladies, Yuki seems to have no interest in a relationship. In fact he tends to uh, literally brush off any girl that even attempts to get close to him and like we get like a little sequence where like a girl's jumping towards him and then he kind of pushes his hand up and then kind of he does a little uh, tactical <laughs> twist and he does a little uh, twinkle toes walk away you know <laughs> you know Yuki if you want to stop girls from hitting on you all you need is six simple words Amelia is the one I love always works yeah there you go <laughs> anyway enough about Yuki for now instead let's learn more about Toru and her story as her father died when she was little and only this past May her mother died in a car accident. Since then she's been initially living with her paternal grandfather but she decided to move out since his house was going under renovations on top of his daughter and two other kids coming to live with them and Toru didn't want to be a burden on them so with all that's going on so she decided to live out on her own and she even didn't want to impose on her friends either because Uo-chan lives in a small apartment and Han-chan has like a large family at her place so she decided that she's just gonna rough it in the woods.
2: The first sense we get that this character bends over way too backwards to accommodate other people out of the kindness of her heart. I think that's I like that they established that that like that early, where you can sense that like
1: Okay, there's something with this character that we're going to learn more about later on. And I love her reasoning for it, too. She says, like, you know what? I'm going to be out of high school in a few years, and I'll be living on my own anyway. Might as well get a head start. <laughs> so I'm just going to go
2: live in the woods and forage for berries or something.
1: <laughs> and she also pays for her own school tuition, too, by picking up uh, part-time work, like working as, like, a janitor at a big office building, too. <laughs> and doing most of the work, As we see her working, like, a lot of her coworkers going, like, oh, man, she's, a like, huge help. We don't really have to lift a finger here. Anyway, later that night, Toro heads back to her town completely exhausted and that's when she's found out by Yuki and Shigure who happen to be passing by on their way home and I love the reaction to this like you just have Shigure just losing his shit laughing at Toru just because she just lives in a tent in the middle of the woods that's when I knew this guy was gonna be one of my boys like I like him but he's kind of a dick (laughs) no I I love him because he's kind of a dick (laughs) and you know what? to be honest I kind of have a feeling that you would love Shigure like he seems like he seems like kind of a you boy (laughs)
2: <laughs> like, he has his moments where, like, yeah, he is very sweet to all of his friends, but he'll have those moments where he's all like, okay, I'm sorry, but I gotta shit on you right now.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I gotta have some fun, you know? I
2: gotta, I gotta,
1: like, laugh, I gotta, like, we gotta laugh at the absurdity of life here a little bit. <laughs> anyway, she tells them all about her situation, and they offered her to let her stay the night at her place, but she turns them down. But it looks like she won't have much of a choice as Shigure, by hearing the howls of the dogs in the forest, realizes there was a landslide nearby that completely engulfed Toru's tent. But well, on the plus side, it's lucky Yuki and Shigure found Toro because otherwise she, this would have been... Otherwise a we short would have ser-
2: had no series. This would have been a short series, you know? This would have been a series but like, a ghost. <laughs> and then one of her friends would have had to have detected the ghost
1: or something. <laughs> no, this would have been Yu, Yu Hakusho. Yeah, it would have basically would have been Yu Yu Hakusho. Uh, yeah, all, all of Toru's things are buried under tons and tons of dirt and gravel, but the one thing she's worried about most of all is her framed picture of her mom. And the shot of her just trying to dig through the dirt, trying to get it out, is actually pretty heartbreaking. Simple
2: storytelling storytelling element, using the uh, picture frame of her mother there a little bit, but
1: it's quite effective. And uh, what's even more heartbreaking is afterwards, when she's lying down at the Soma house, she tells Yukin and Shigure all about her mom and the day she died. Her biggest regret from that day being that she never had a chance to say goodbye to her like she does every morning. You know, the night before, she stayed up late to study for a test, and she just slept in that day after her mom left and then she found out that day at school. I like the simplicity of that, though. I like that it's just, like, just that quick and unceremonious,
2: you know. You you understand that immediately, and you immediately empathize with how heartbreaking
1: that can be. But I will say, the scene is actually a lot more emotional here than in the original anime, because the original scene was still sad, but the reboot, I feel, definitely tugs at the heartstrings a lot more with uh, better directing and editing. And uh, this will generally be the case with most of the big emotional scenes throughout the season, but there are a few moments where I say that uh, both the original and the reboot definitely are about the same. And uh, I much prefer how the reboot does scenes like this, because, you know, I love it when anime, or anything really, really gets me to the point where I'm on the verge of tears, you know, I really, when something gets that much of a reaction out of me, I know it's doing its job well, and I'm just like, great, do more. You know, that's,
2: that's kind of weird for me, uh, these days, because I don't know, it's, I don't know if it's like, if it's because I'm like a, I've been become, I've become more stone cold over the years, (laughs) but it's like, there's, it's, 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 It's kind of rare for me these days for an anime to kind of get me to cry like that or something. I think it takes that just right theme, that just right idea that really pertains to, like, my personal life to really get me over, you know? Like, it's it's nothing too universal. It's like, again, it's got to be something specific. Uh, I will say, maybe this just, like, attests the kind of person I am, but One Piece has definitely made me cry Uh... on more than one occasion. It's so weird to say that... That has made me cry, and that like, like I, I can only ever like nothing I can ever watch like ever gets me like close to that. I'm always like, okay, that got me close to crying, and or it's like, okay, that didn't make me cry at all. You know what? I will give credit to Fruits Basket. It got me close to crying. Oh, yeah. It got me close to crying. Didn't get me quite there. It wasn't One Piece. <laughs> But, like, it got me close
1: to there. I I don't know what's wrong with me. (laughs) I don't know what's wrong with me. No, I'm the complete opposite, because, like, ten years ago, if you would ask me something, like, oh, did anything make you cry? I'd be like, nah, I don't cry. I don't cry. I'm a man. But, like, nowadays, everything makes me cry. Like, you know, I cry when I scrape my knee, cry when I'm out of chocolate milk. I even cry when I'm doing Long Division. I have a remainder left over. (laughs) (laughs) But, like, a lot of anime has gotten me to go, like, ah, emotion.
2: Ah, It's weird. You know, stuff I'll watch these days... Doesn't do it a whole lot. But then you sit me in front of the scene of Jaguar Desaul dying in front of a young Nico Robin uh, and, and saying to her. her, no matter who you are, ain't nobody in this world born alone and born to be alone. And I will just fucking tear
1: up in front <laughs> of you, man. It's, it's, it's just how I am. Uh, One Piece makes me cry too. It does that to you. Anywho, Toro falls asleep, and Yuki goes out to dig up uh, Toru's belongings out of the tent. Shigure says it'll be a tough job to do alone, but who says Yuki will be alone? The next day, Toro wakes up to find her mom's picture safe and sound, along with the rest of her stuff, thanks to Yuki and his friends. Let's focus on Toru's living conditions, as she'll now be staying at the Soma house. In exchange, Toru will be their living housekeeper. Aw oh, yeah, free labor. Aw oh, yeah, <laughs> not getting paid. <laughs> you know, it's like this dynamic with, like, uh... Yuki, Toru, Shigure, and uh, certain someone who's soon to come, it kind of reminds me a bit of uh, Frasier, you, know? <laughs> you know? You know, you kind of have three guys, you have like a housekeeper living in a big house and having all kinds of crazy adventures and stuff, it's a bit, it's a bit Frazier, you know? Yeah, Fruits Basket is Frazier. Fruits Basket is Frasier. <laughs> toss salad and Fruits Baskets. <laughs> yeah, all seems to be good as Yuki helps Toru get settled in. That is, until someone literally comes dropping in. Here he comes, crashing through the ceiling. It's Yuki's cousin, Kyo Soma, played by a returning Jerry Jewell. Oh yeah, it's my boy. Ooh, yeah. Another another actor I'm not like too familiar with these days. Oh, he's a he's a really great actor and a uh, really lovely dude. I got to meet him at Detour a couple years ago.
2: Although, but still, with a voice that like I know I've heard before. Oh, I know I've heard plenty of times. I know
1: I've heard before. He's got a really unique voice. He very much does. Like uh, You may remember him from, when, uh, from our third episode of the podcast as he was in Yuri on Ice. Victor off. Mm, yes, there it is. Yeah, but uh, thoughts on Kyo?
2: Kyo. Um. Well, much like uh, much like Yuki and Shigure, uh, immediately found him likable. Um. And I also this is where I got the sense that like I couldn't believe it when you said the anime was like goofier because I saw this going through here and I'm all like, this feels exactly like the kind of goofy stuff I would have seen in like the 90s <laughs> <laughs> that was like more typical in the
1: 90s and it was just like this is 90s enough for me love it it feels fresh here because it's amazing because like you see them walking up the stairs and you just see a a little hint of him standing on out on the tree in the window and then he just comes freaking smashing in like a freaking superhero and just like hey rat boy let's fight and they all treat it like it's like it's like like it's
2: totally normal
1: for a human being to just crash through the roof you
2: know you just have yuki going like
1: what are you doing here
2: I was just like, oh, this is the
1: kind of 90s stuff, like, I never knew I missed. And it's great, and I, I love Kyo. He's just such a hothead and, like, a perfect kind of character, like, I kind of love. He's the right amount of hot headed. he's, like, almost Bach going away. Yeah, yeah, he's he's just right. And he's here to kick ass, Oni Lorcan style throw it up, but before any ass-kicking can commence, Toru starts to intervene, but instead trips and accidentally embraces Kyo, which causes him to transform into a cat. Then Toru clutches her way over to Yuki and Shigure, and they too transform into animals, specifically a rat and a dog, respectively. And that's how the series begins right there. Very solid first episode. I was surprised that
2: it hooked me in that easily. That's when I knew, oh, this is gonna be, this is gonna get me out of my funk. (laughs) (laughs) This is the right kind of slice of life anime that'll get me out of my funk. Just, just
1: excellent. So let's get an explanation as to what's going on. Shigure, Yuki, and Kyo, and 10 other members of the Soma family are cursed to transform into 12 animals of the Chinese zodiac, plus the cat. The way it works is they transform whenever they are hugged by someone of the opposite sex, when they feel weak, or when they feel stressed. They don't get any special powers or anything from this other than being able to communicate with their respective animals and being able to still talk while they're in their animal form. Other than that, they're just regular animals, regular cats, dogs, and rats. Nothing very superpowery about it. Yeah, you think you'd be like, ah oh, man, I wish I can get some cool cat like reflexes when I'm in my human form, or I can get a greater sense of smell when I'm a dog, but nah. Just, you just transform into an animal.
0: Well,
2: mm, just only, like, tiny bits here and there. They can still, like, uh, communicate with their animals, like, their respective animals, uh, when they're in, like, their human forms and stuff. And um, you could argue they maybe retain some, like, traits here or there with certain characters.
1: Certain characters, yeah.
2: But in general, yeah, they don't really get anything out of these
1: transformations. I will say some of the traits they do retain are, like, the traits of the animals in the Zodiac story, rather than the animals in real life. Right. Also, they do turn back into humans after a short while. It varies from time to time. It's really whenever the plot requires it. <laughs> yeah. But when they do, they're completely naked with but no clothes on. I am also glad
2: that this series does not milk that real hard. Because I was just like, that could so easily be a contrived joke. It could be. But they handle it well. They know just where to cut that joke off whenever it happens. They know when to treat it with respect. They know when to treat it for humor. Like, it doesn't overstay its welcome. I'm glad they
1: knew how to manage that, because I saw that was just like, don't fuck this up. Don't fuck it up. Yeah, but this, this is a running gag that I don't really get tired of. And uh, throughout the series, you know, it seems like Toru ends up seeing a lot more naked guys than she ever thought she'd see in her regular life. <laughs> a lot more ding-dong than she ever <laughs> thought she needed to see. A lot of junk mail.
2: <laughs> a lot of jewels flapping on the wind. <laughs>
1: Uh, Toru promises to keep their secret, but despite that promise, Yuki is worried about her as whenever the secret has been revealed to someone outside the family, they usually have their memories erased by order of the head of the family, Akito Soma. Okay, ow. <laughs> That's kind of harsh. And Yuki has some experience with this as when he was a uh, little babby Yuki, he was playing with a bunch of kids. And then when one of the girls hugged him, he transformed into a rat, and then all the kids saw him and then had to get their memories erased. They, they all had to get men in black. Yeah, right they, got, they had to get neuralized. <laughs> and then Yuki asked Akito why this has to be a secret, and then Akito just straight up told him, people will just be sickened by your appearance.
2: Well, I would also say it would just be a media frenzy, and what fam- what family
1: needs that? Boy turns into a rat more at 11. Though <laughs> Toro isn't worried about it, because even if she has to have her memories erased to keep the secret, then so be it. But if she does have her memories taken away, she'd ask Yuki if he can still be friends with her again. And this touches his heart, and my heart, and everyone else's heart who watches this.
2: It follows a very common uh, thread, as we will see through the series, where somebody will try to drop some harsh reality on uh, on Toru. Toru will be super accommodating and nice, and people will be all like, Oh my god, (laughs) you fucking cinnamon roll, you're enriching my life. And then they'll like, and then they'll like be nice and accommodating towards her, and they'll like come out ahead and learn something. Like I like the bit where he's like,
1: "Is are are you sick?" And he's like, and she's all like, "Oh no, I don't feel sick. I feel fine." No, that's not. Uh. Ah, ah,
2: <laughs> you're teaching me something. <laughs>
1: <laughs> uh, later on, Shigure gets some good news as he spoke with Akito about Toru, and luckily for her, she won't have to get neuralized. On the one hand, awesome. On the other, it seems like Akito has some uh, ulterior motives. Eh, I'm sure it's nothing. Another good news, or bad news if you're Yuki, Kyo will now be living with them, and he'll be attending the same school as Toru and Yuki. And as much as Yuki hates this, Kyo hates this even more. In fact, these two hate each other as much as their uh, respective Zodiac animals do. And it's why Kyo challenged Yuki to a fight earlier, and said fight he got completely curse stomped in. (laughs) But uh, what do you think of uh, their rivalry?
2: Um, well, I I immediately saw, like, a tie-in in with, like, the whole theme of, like, the cat and the rat, you know?
1: So, um... I thought that was like I just thought that was a neat little way to sort of tie them together a little bit. Yeah, it's all based on the rat uh, tricking the cat, and uh, and you know, and also it's really based on like you know each of them wanting what the other wants.
2: Yeah, it's there's there's a lot there's a lot of like character to it as well that you can immediately sense that these both that both of these characters are
1: uh, sort of has some insecurities about the other. Yeah, you know, Kyo he wants it's to be, good setup. Kyo wants to be accepted by the Soma family because he feels that the only way he can do this is by beating the rat Yuki. He just feels like he wants to belong somewhere, and interestingly enough, Yuki is the complete opposite of Kyo, as when it comes to being a part of the Somas, he has an underlying disdain for the clan and doesn't want to be attached to them. Like, all of it relating back to his relationship with uh, the head of the family, Akito, and, and again, it also comes back into the, the story of the rat being portrayed as very unflattering and also kind of the trickster of the group. Yeah, and they get that off, and they get that all across real quick too, yeah, right it's, in that intro. It's very snappy, and also doesn't feel fast or slow or anything. It feels all right. feels natural. And uh, another interesting thing about these two is when it comes to how they interact with others. You know, Kyo is very awkward with other people. He can't really express himself without getting frustrated and lashing out like Bakugo. Yet, despite all that, we see that his classmates tend to get along with him pretty well enough. Like he gets teased mostly by Uochan, which I love, by the way. <laughs> But uh, for the most part he's just it's all good nature ribbing. They just like having fun with him.
2: Yeah, he actually he, well he, but yeah, he's sure he's not super social, but like everybody is just very chill around him, you know. Yeah. Like they
1: don't feel like they don't really feel like he, he he doesn't they don't make him feel out of place among any of them. Yeah, like when he acts like a hothead, they just go like, Oh Kion you're such a g you're such a card. <laughs> <laughs> well
2: because yeah, he's cause he's totally harmless yeah. too towards other people. He wouldn't hurt a fly. I mean he would hurt a rat. Yeah.
1: But... <laughs> oh not the shit out of a rat. Yeah. <laughs> But uh, this is something that Yuki is actually jealous about. Like, he envies Kyo's ability to easily interact with others, be it good or bad. And this is despite Yuki being the, the prince of the school, Mr. Congeniality here. But he doesn't see himself that way, instead just feels really isolated. Kyo and Yuki don't get along, but they're not so different. They feel like outcasts, uh, despite being so well-liked. And by the way, as the series go on, wanting to belong becomes like a big, overarching theme. In that the is show. a
2: big theme in the series.
1: With all these issues you can kill, go through, there's someone who can be their guiding light. That, of course, being Toru. And what do you think of their relationship with her?
2: Well, like, between, between like, the three of them right here, um, perfect trifecta, like, overall, I would say. Really, really strong enough to help it last throughout the entire series. And it's, and it's not the only one either, too. We're mm-hmm. going to be seeing this sort of, like, strong bonding between Toru and, like, many other characters. But it's these three right here. These three. They, re- they <laughs> really just,
1: like, complement each other perfectly. Yeah, and, like, to put it simply, they, they definitely need her. Yes. Like, without her, then they're just directionless. Mm-hmm. And even though Toru doesn't see herself as anyone special, it becomes evident that she's just really special to them. You know, watching the series, the way Toru just kind of attracts people to her and, like, is really good at helping others, she's kind of like uh, Arnold from Hey Arnold, in a way. <laughs> <laughs> Actually... That is actually kind of an apt description. You know, always helping people just because it's the right thing to do and how she was raised. But also, like, very flawed as a person themselves mm-hmm. as well. I liked that a lot. Yeah, and she just she just does it by just being herself. Mm-hmm. And uh, I really like the scenes that Toru has with uh, Yuki and Kyo in these early episodes. You know, when she's with Yuki at his uh, secret vegetable garden, that's when Toru tells him about how she follows her mother's uh, words to be more positive with others, which encourages him to be more social and break out of a shell, too. And then the, the scene after that with uh, Kyo was another good one where it was it's like one of the first important moments in the relationship where Toru tells him he's like a rice ball and he's got a plum on his back. <laughs> because you know, everyone everyone like him they tend to see, see something in other people that they want and not realize what something that truly makes them special and that something is the plum on their back.
2: Yes, deep inside you is a rank pickled plum. <laughs> Tastes like shit. <laughs>
1: That's why you gotta go with the salmon rice balls, man.
2: Okay, I admit, I, I need to try I need to try pickled plum again, because like clearly I did not understand it the first time, but I did not have the fur I did not have a great first experience with it. <laughs> <laughs> Suffice to say, I would feel personally insulted if somebody said my said my soul was like that. <laughs> you are a rank pickled plum on the
1: inside. <laughs> Mr. Grinch But <laughs> <laughs> well, no, I, I really love Toru's weird philosophy that she has. But now it's uh, time to get into some uh, more stuff here as we're going to introduce the first of many members of the Soma family. As uh, one day, Toru meets a shy and rather cute-looking girl standing outside the house. The girl seems to be looking for a kill, of all people, as she meekly asks if he's home. Toru tells her he is. She goes in to see him. And as soon as she does, she runs up so happy and elated. And she just greets him with a nice, tender, loving BIG DOG! It's it's Kyod, so to be honest, like he's pretty used to that kind of stuff, yeah. fighting Yuki a lot. Then he proceeds to aggressively get the holy hell beaten out of him. As we are introduced to Kagura Soma, originally played by Meredith McCoy, now played by Tia Ballard, hashtag your Tia. Oh, how quite nice. Yeah, so the reason for the change is that Meredith McCoy moved away from Texas back in 2018, thus wasn't able to come back and do the simuldub. And so Tia has to come in and pinch in for her. And, like, with some of the other recasts, I really like Tia's performance a lot more. Like, she has the perfect amount of, like, cute and aggressive, and, like, when she gets aggressive, it's even funnier, because it's coming out of someone who sounds so cutesy like she does. Yeah, Tia
2: Ballard, she, she was definitely the right pick for this kind of character. She nails both sides of Kagura quite well. Thoughts on Kagura? Thoughts on Kagura? Um, another character that felt very 90s, <laughs> <laughs> much like Keo in some regards. But again, like much of the human series, doesn't like you know the her her quirks you know just where to arise in the story, and they don't outweigh their welcome. Mm-hmm. So I was quite happy to see that. Also, adorable as hell. Aw, oh, she's as uh, cute as a button. Oh yes, and her and her and her inner like puppy love like crush on Keo
1: as well is kind of adorable. And uh, as for this beatdown, it this is all normal for her. Like uh, Kaga is in love with Keo and has ever been since they were kids and she tends to get really aggressive with her love to the point where she just loses her temper and just beats the shit out of him and this uh, ass kicking is mostly because she's been worried about him ever since uh, before this cuz Keo uh, disappeared for a few months so like uh, that's why she's just so aggressive here and right now I guess Keo, he just, like,
2: fucked off in the mountains for a while to, uh, learn martial arts,
1: correct?
2: Yep. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he literally did that kind of, like, old movie, like, trick right there. <laughs> yeah, I just went off, I just went off into
1: the mountains to learn some, like, ancient ass-kicking secrets. <laughs> you know, stand underneath a waterfall, that whole thing, punch some trees and stuff like that.
2: Yeah, and just learn some martial arts
1: as you do in anime. <laughs> uh, by the way, the animation and choreography for this ass-kicking is great. Like, the favorite bits of this is when Kagura is just spinning Kyo over her head so fast that she lifts off the ground like a helicopter. There's also the part where she's just wailing on him with rapid fire punches, almost like uh, Star Platinum beating up Steely Dan. <laughs> 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 and I love when she snaps out of it. She just cradles Kyo and goes, like, Who did this to you? <laughs> and yes, she cradles him and hugs him, but doesn't transform, as uh, we get another rule for the Soma Curse as while you transform when you hug someone of the opposite sex, this doesn't happen when you hug another Kursoma, so I like to think that they just cancel each other out.
2: Yeah, yeah. But yeah. still, another 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 simple little idea that I think um, does make the whole um, familial, familial relationships a lot more stronger in this series, you know. It sets up this idea that uh, the characters will, have, uh, will naturally have trouble uh, interacting with and bonding with people outside their family but they know that they can always trust people or believe that they can trust people within mm-hmm. the family. Right. And again, as we'll see in the series, that's that doesn't
1: actually apply for everyone. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and all this hugging is great for Kagura because she can hug Kyo all she wants and doesn't have to worry about him transforming. And so we don't have to see her spirit animal just yet, but uh, hang on to that. Kagura loves Kyo to death almost literally. In fact, she'll even love him when he's in his true form. Uh, uh, oh, wait, uh, n- never mind that. Just forget about it. Shh. End of season. <laughs> But anyway, let's focus on Kagura seeing Toru as a bit of a love rival here, because, you know, only other girl in the house, she must be uh, into Kyo. Naturally, of course. She thinks, like, naturally. Naturally, of course. (laughs) Like, who wouldn't love Kyo? He's such a lovable guy. (laughs) And to show that she loves Kyo more than Toru, Kagura plans on cooking him a big fat dinner of love made especially for him. And I guess Yuki, Shigure, and Toru can have some too, but not too much. (laughs) As Kagura says, this dinner is for her darling mentioned in uh, our Blue Bloomington U episode and I'll mention again here something about uh, a character being played by Tia Ballard calling someone darling that I like just feels right
2: like she knows how to deliver that r- line perfectly
1: perfectly it's a it's it comes naturally it to her kind naturally. of naturally almost like she's done it before <laughs> soon we'll get to it soon <laughs> oh god however Kyo is having none of it and snaps at Kagura oh Kyo You fucked up. (laughs) Then Kagura violently judo throws him so hard that he breaks through the floor in his room, which is on the second floor, and he comes crashing down into the living room, just destroying everything, including the dinner Kagura made. Yep, dinner's ready. Except now it's not. (laughs) So, first of all, Kagura's got beef. And second of all, this is way more than she does in, in this episode in the original anime. Because in the original episode, the most she does is just break the sliding doors in Shigurei's house and screws up some laundry. Here she practically destroys his house here. Yeah, weird moment where the the, anime, the the remake hit it harder <laughs> than the original. As hard as a punch of love from Kagura. <laughs> uh, she feels bad about this and leaves to go get more food, except she forgets her money. But luckily, Toru catches up to her and helps her pay. And we get a nice moment between the two as Kagura tells her why she loves Kyo so much. You know, it all stems back from when they were little kids and she always saw Kyo playing by himself. And then she began playing with him and soon after she made a promise that he'll never be alone again. And then Kagura starts to realize that Toru isn't necessarily in love with Kyo, but she does like him as she's always like the cat in the Zodiac story. So, And that what causes them to become more friends and they can bond over their love of Kyo and the cat together. Right, right. And uh, it's really sweet, and what's even sweeter is later on, we uh, have Toru going to the roof to see Kyo on on the top of the house, and we have one of the first of many iconic scenes of Fruits Basket, Toru and Kyo's heart-to-heart on the roof, and I'll probably see that right here.
3: There you are. <sighs> I should have known I'd find you up here. The food will be done in a minute.
7: I'm gonna pass.
3: Kagura worked really hard to put it together, though. She said she just wants to make you happy.
7: Yeah, well, she's always saying crazy things, like all that marriage stuff. There must be something wrong with her brain. It's so annoying.
3: But isn't it a blessing to have someone care about you? Someone who worries about your happiness and wants to always be by your side? You know, I'd like to think someone cares for me that way, even if that person and I are separated by a huge distance. I find it very reassuring. And it's amazing to me, the way that someone can love another person with their entire heart. Because after all, doesn't everybody dream there's someone out there destined to be with them?
7: Uh, I don't know about that.
3: I know what you dream of. You want to defeat Soma, don't you? That's why you went into the mountains to train.
7: Uh, Shigure's been blabbing.
3: That training must have been hard on you. Especially since you were by yourself out there.
7: I wasn't alone. I had my master there with me.
3: Oh, I didn't know. Is he a very strong person?
7: Obviously, he has to be. He's an amazing fighter. Even Yuki couldn't beat the guy. He's been teaching me since I was just a little kid, which is why I've gotten so strong. Plus, even though he's a member of the Soma Clan, he actually understands me. You wouldn't believe how tough he is. I could hardly wait for our lessons each morning. Don't get me wrong, the training was harsh, but it was also incredibly fulfilling. I felt myself getting stronger. Just thinking about it gets me so pumped up.
3: I've never seen him so excited. He's got so much passion.
7: Man, I could really go for a few sparring rounds right now.
3: It's not that he just wants to beat Soma. He truly loves martial arts.
7: Uh, Oh, this is probably boring to a girl like you, I bet.
3: Sure, I don't know much about martial arts, but I'm not bored at all, I promise. This is really interesting.
7: Yeah, because I'd be bored in your shoes. It's not like you care about this stuff.
3: True, I do have trouble not falling asleep when people are talking about, like, physics, but I'm not completely uninterested in martial arts. I even know a few moves. Like, let me think. There's the, uh, um, what's it called? Right-handed jab! (laughs)
7: Horrible. Horrible.
3: <laughs> I feel like I've caught another glimpse of the true Kyô. Take ours Underneath that grumpy look he always has on his face, he's hiding an awkward smile.
1: Thoughts on the scene here? Uh, well, this is where I
2: began to kind of uh, realize something a little bit about the series, and what I think um, really helps it sort of uh, work within the modern era, and what makes what I think makes it into a really good perennial story is that um i know that the series is inserting elements into it that are like romantic than inside this idea of like a romance series but the more i like watched it and like the more i kind of took in the story i realized more that it was like that the series was really going towards this idea of like like almost like universal compassion for uh, other people and stuff Where I got the sense that, like, okay, yeah, I am seeing the characters get flustered with each other, you know, and, like, blush a little bit around each other. Like, the way they talk with each other and, like, empathize with each other and, like, try to understand each other and what each other have kind of gone through. The series is more, like, covers more the idea of, like, universal love, of, like, these different types of loves. And it's what I think tied into, like, what I believed was one of the big themes of the series and that was the th- and that was the theme of unconditional love. Mm-hmm. People just some are are deserving to some degree of a base level of love, and that like some people out there who do not receive that, um, you know, really do miss out on something in life. They they really go missing with something in life. Maybe that's just how I started. Maybe that's just how I kind of try to view some like some works like that or something. But I think this series does a good, do a good job of establishing uh, a very big difference between. Uh, the different types of love that is getting crossed in the series, whether it is familial love, puppy love, or just the, or, um, you know, brother or sisterly love, all different types. This, I, as I begin to watch the series and go on, I really realize this series is so good at distinguishing between all of them
1: and recognizing the individual importance of each kind of love right you also have a love of like certain like ideas and concepts because kyo is really putting over how much he loves martial arts because you know he's saying that he's using it so he can get stronger to beat up yuki but even without yuki he just loves it anyway because it's just so thrilling and fun and also he puts over how much he loves his master who's been teaching him and like how he's like one of the greatest people that he's ever really known right and also i love the one bit where uh kyo uh he gets so into it that he like uh pulls himself back and apologizes to uh, Toru because he thinks like he's boring her and she's all like no she's like really interested in like how much he loves martial arts and she's so invested in this conversation <laughs> and I love the cute bit where she's all like uh, I I know some martial arts oh uh, let's see here uh right jab <laughs> gives him a little baby punch in the shoulder <laughs> in a nice little detail here when she says like right jab she punches with her left hand <laughs> <laughs> naturally (laughs) (laughs) so the following day Kagura takes her leave but not before trying to give Kyo a loving goodbye he gets annoyed which upsets her and causes her to rush out of the house and inadvertently bumping into the mailman and transforming but uh, luckily Yuki sends him off before her cover is blown he's just like thanks for the mail bye (laughs) and it's revealed that Kagura is the boar of the Zodiac and side note here 2019 was the year of the boar hmm so, you're the pig. I should clarify. Pig. Yeah, yeah.
2: But but again, it's like Japan, so it's like okay,
1: yeah. Boars are pretty big in Japan. Yeah, so, yeah. So basically, last year was literally hashtag Yuritia. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I love the one detail where, like, uh, throughout this episode, uh, uh, Toru was trying to figure out uh, what Kagura's zodiac spirit is, and then Shigeru is like, "Okay, just pay attention to her, and you'll figure it out." And then when she sees her transform, she picks up Kagura and goes like, "Okay, I got it. She's the boar."
2: <laughs> I, like, I like that's a that's a cute little
1: running thing in the show that like she's trying that she does actively try to guess uh, the zodiacs. Yeah, just all based on their personality. And I love the part where uh, Toru tells Kagura that after spending last night with Kyô, she understands why she loves him. And Kagura misinterprets this as, uh, Toru and Kyo, uh, spending last night getting busy. Oh, God. And she just starts beating him up while she's still in her little piggy form. Like, even (laughs) gnawing at his head and drawing blood. Well, Jesus! Like, do you you know what, like, a boar can do to you? Oh, they'll fuck you up, man. Oh, yeah, they're nasty little sumbitches. Mm Mm-hmm. But uh, Toru clears up the confusion as uh, what she means is she wants to be the kind of person like Chagra who can see all the great things in the person she likes. And then Kagura takes her leave and later on, Toru gets a phone call from her grandpa. As it turns out, the renovations on his house are done and she can move back in with him. So it looks like Toru's time with the Soma's looks to be over and just when things were starting to get good. And while she says she's fine with moving back with her family, the question is, is she really fine with it. And that's the big thing about uh, this moment in the series. And she even gets in her own heads, think, thinking that she didn't really belong with the Somas and that she needs to go home. Toto feeling like she doesn't belong is something that's really familiar to her ever since she was a little kid. And that's when we get the flashback to elementary school when she used to get picked on by the other kids while they were uh, playing some schoolyard games, specifically the game where the show gets its namesake, Fruits Basket. And basically the way the game works is that uh, each kid is given the name of fruit. You're, you know, walk to a bunch of kids, okay, you kids are the apples, you kids are the bananas, you kids are the oranges, et cetera, et cetera. And whoever calls out a fruit, and it's your fruit, then you have to run around, and I guess you have to, like, uh, you know, sit down before you get tagged. And this continues until all the fruits are called. But uh, poor Toru was always given the rice ball, and she never got picked because a rice ball doesn't belong in a fruits basket. And that's some symbolism for you right there.
2: I'm glad that they at least, like, explained that, though, because, like, I had no idea what the title referred to after all these years.
1: But then I realized, like, oh, it really is that simple. It's just a children's game. Yeah, like, when I first watched the original series, I'm just like, yeah, why is this called Fruits Basket? Oh, they didn't explain it there? No, they didn't explain it at first, but then, like, uh, when they got to this episode, I'm just like, oh, that's it. Mmm,
2: yeah. Although it doesn't really come up again, though. No, it's just like,
1: For this one moment, and I kind of feel like they think... So, yeah, you
2: better, like, you better see that moment or else you're going to (laughs) be asking
1: that question the whole series. Yeah, because... Because it won't come up. Because I'm pretty sure Takia was thinking, like, okay, I got the moment across. You're all going to remember this. I trust you, audience. Right, right. It's like when you're watching Bleach
2: and you're wondering, like, when is somebody going to drink Bleach in this series? When will every character I see here just drink bleach and just fucking die? Or how about I just use bleach and pour it into my eyes so I don't have to see this ever again? Yeah, or maybe or maybe that's it's in the the series is giving me advice. Maybe I should drink bleach instead of reading bleach. Maybe the bleach is the friends we made along the way. What I'm saying is drinking bleach is preferable to reading bleach. <laughs> That's my adv- my advice of the day. That's perfect advice.
1: <laughs> so Toru packs up and bids farewell to the Somas and moves back in with her grandpa, who is also joined by Toru's aunt and her cousins on her father's side. Things will be better this way, right? Well, it turns out her aunt and cousins are kind of a bunch of assholes. Uh, not her grandpa, though. He's fun. He's really nice, but even a little senile, though. But uh, these other guys, though, oh boy, they, they don't take kindly to Toru
2: they treat her like she's gonna like steal something behind her, but like like she's gonna pilfer something from
1: the house behind their backs. Yeah, and like uh, the thing is, in the original anime, Toto actually stayed with her extended family longer. Like she spent like a few days with them.
2: Mm, okay. So we got to
1: see more examples of them being pretty much dismissive and verbally abusive to her. In the original anime, the the verbal abuse isn't like. Set outright but it's very it's very the passive aggressive kind you know yeah
2: yeah like it gets in that passive aggressiveness gets lacrosse very well in the short scene it's very minnesotan but at the same time like it's 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 also like very briskly done where it's like okay yeah you understand these characters you understand what they're all about Let's, let's, let's get them out of the way.
1: (laughs) Yeah, like, here it cuts straight to the point where, uh, Toru is confronted... Yeah, no bullshit. Like, this is all you need to know about him. Yeah, where she's, uh, confronted by her aunt and her aunt's son that, uh, they've known that she's been staying with the Somas for quite some time because they hired an investigator to spy on her because the son wants to be a cop and he's like, he doesn't want any trouble from the family to stop him from getting his job. And also, uh, one of the reasons why they don't really take kindly to Toru is because, uh, they never liked her mom, you know, because of her her past and everything, they feel like she's been a bad influence on her. But uh, thankfully, Toro's grandpa doesn't stand for any of this and then slaps the son and then he gives a really great line here where he's like, they're terribly unpleasant people, but what can he do? <laughs> you know, this shows that he's able to put up with these guys, but he can tell right away that Toto can't and that maybe this home isn't right for her. And this leads into the amazing and iconic going home scene where Toto decides for herself that. You know, she belongs with the Somas, and that's where she wants to be with the most, you know, this is what she wants, and it's something that is kind of new to her, because she's never actually wanted anything before. You know, it's like, it may be considered selfish, with every, but with everything that has done in her lifetime, you know, she's more than deserving to be a little selfish, and, like, she definitely deserves it in this moment right here. And this is all Yuki and Kyo needed to hear as they didn't want her to leave in the first place, and they come right back to bring her home right in the nick of time. And they help to leave, but not before Yuki rightly tells the son to fuck right off. Uh, in the original anime, he just simply says something to the extent of, don't say anything bad about Miss Honda. But here he says that, and then he finger flicks the sun right in the face, flooring him. And I will splice in the going home scene right here.
3: Hey, um, Kyo? Uh, why did you come here?
7: Jeez, you left us the information so we used it, okay? Not that it was exactly helpful. Do you know how long I had to spend looking around with that damn rat? It was freaking torture. But honestly, I don't understand why I'm doing this either. <sighs> I mean, why did I feel so on edge the second you left the house earlier? I don't get it, and that pisses me off even more!
3: Then... Those two came for me even though they can't stand being around each other? It's your fault. If you didn't want to leave our place, you should have just said so. How did you know?
7: We heard the whole thing from outside. (sighs) Being selfish sometimes, it's no big deal. I wouldn't like it if somebody was selfish every single day. But that isn't the way you are. You can be selfish every once in a while. I figure you deserve that much at least. So next time, just ask.
8: It's okay to be selfish. That's something we all deserve. <laughs> <sighs>
7: uh, what is it? What's wrong? Why are you crying?
3: <sighs> oh. uh. I want to go home. Even if it is selfish. That's what I want. To be with all of you.
0: Then
7: come on, let's go home.
3: But you all of my stuff...
4: Let's go. <gasps>
0: okay, next is… The Rice Ball! <laughs> I can't
3: believe it. I'm the luckiest person in the world. You are right, Mom.
1: And so Toru joyfully moves back in with the Somas as we get the famous image of her walking side by side with Yuki and Kyo as they hold her hand as they bring her back home. You know, this is this is one fruits basket where the rice ball definitely belongs here. Overall, good moment. Yeah, very good moment. It's classic moment. So life goes on normally for Toru, and since she's been living with them, she's been getting really chummy with Kyo and Yuki. And this catches the attention of Uo and Hana, and they confront her their friend on it, which leads to Toru pulling a Toru, accidentally letting it out that she's been living with them. But uh, because they're such good goddamn friends, they invite themselves over to the Soma house just to check in on Toru and make sure she's being treated right by them. And just scout out of the place ahead of time. <laughs> you know, if something bad were to happen with, with Toru, then U uh, is going to have to fuck someone's shit up and Hana's going to have to mind crush you into your brain as mush. <laughs> <laughs> she's to send you to the Shadow Realm. <laughs> send you to the next dimension. Thankfully, they have nothing to worry about as Toru is living happily and healthy with the Somas. Though, this does raise a bit of concern as the uh, why didn't Toru come to them when she needed a place to stay? Like, they gladly would have welcomed her with arms wide open, like she's their friend, and as we'll see later, she's done a lot for them in their lives. And of course, the thing is, Toru is just the kind of person who would never ask for help because she just doesn't want to be bothered even though it would totally be cool. And I love y- Yuki's line here where he says, uh, Miss Honda's the kind of person who deserves the moon but will never ask you for it. A very apt description. And yeah, the thing is, Toru doesn't really need anything else from Uo and Hana other than their undying friendship. Like, that's all she really wants from them, and they fully understand that, so they give Toru her blessing to continue living with the Somas. Interestingly enough, this episode is radically different than what it was in the original anime. Uh, In the original anime, this episode took on more of a uh, sitcom-y hijinks-type plot, where Uo and Hana visit Toru, and then... Toro, Yuki and Kyo are all just running around the house trying to keep the, the whole curse a secret because like there are moments where like they transform into their animals and then like Toro has to like step in, block them while they run behind the house and transform back. It's all very wacky and over the top.
2: You know, the more you describe like these hijinks in the old anime, the more you sell me on the idea that I would hate the, <laughs> the original anime. <laughs> like I'm starting to realize that the more you explain this. <laughs> I, I just keep thinking back to how lucky I am that that what I got here was not as wacky
1: and off-the-wall as that, because I feel like I would not have the patience for that. Yeah, but no, here we just have like a simple, nice sit-down conversation. And I, I will say the original episode was still fun in a way, but I'm just like, I like this much more better. And also, the original episode kind of does make uh, Uo and Hano seem a bit dumb when you really think about it, because if you, if you were them and you see their friend running around freaking out and also the two guys she's living with disappearing and reappearing every so often, you kind of think something would be up. And, like, they care about her too much to kind of let any little things like that slide. Yeah, they keep it more chill and low-key this time around, comparatively. You know, it's like, it's it's moments like this that made me really appreciate the subtlety of the reboot, and is emphasizing the sound around. Yeah, because it,
2: it sounds like it just relied, like, well enough on, like, the writing alone as what it was, you know? hmm
1: You know, it, it had trust in the source material. Right. Oh, another thing that was cut from the original episode, and the original anime all one of the bigger plot points of this season, and Fruits Basket as a whole, is Toru's cap. So this is uh, a baseball cap that has been featured prominently, is from when Toru was a little girl, she got lost finding her way home, and then she ran into a boy who was able to lead her back home. And uh, before he left, he gave her that very same hat, and she's kept it as a memento ever since. This hat, the scene where Tora recounts the story to Uo-chan and hana and especially the part where Kyo is eavesdropping on this conversation, not present at all in the original. Mmm. And uh, while I don't know exactly the true significance of the hat, because for the most part, I don't really know what happens much after these uh, batch of episodes, but I have heard some rumblings about it, and needless to say, it's gonna be important later on. And afterwards, the following day, Toru receives a call as she's been requested to come to the Soma estate alone. So, well uh, let's step back here a little bit, as before Uo-chan and Hanachan made their visits to the Soma house, we had a school festival take place. Surprisingly that they got it out of the way so quick. Yeah, usually you save this for, like, near the end of a series, like, you know, what My Hero Academia is doing.
2: Because that's the one card you, can't, you can only play once per anime. It's a card every single production is given. Every production, when they're in the writing phases, you can play the you can play the school festival card once, and then you can never do it again. I mean, I bet you, I bet you $50 that, like, My Hero Academia will never come back to, like,
1: the school festival again. Oh, back. I have no doubt that this is the last school festival. Anime,
2: anime never, because, like, that's a series that's going to be lasting multiple school years, most likely, but, like, in every anime,
1: you can only play it once, and they played it early, this one. The only other anime I do know that does multiple school festivals is Aizumanga D.io. Because it covers their entire three years of high school, so obviously you kind of have to do more than one school festival. And oh. they change, and they do change it up. They do change up what they do every year. Okay, interesting. Yeah, but other I, this, th- I've not heard that in many other But series. other than that, yeah, no other anime does a school festival more than once. And it was there when Toru is introduced to two more members of the Soma family. Introducing first is Momiji Soma, originally played by Kimberly Grant, now played by Michaela Krantz. Uh, reason for the recast being that uh, Kimberly Grant similarly retired from voice acting ever since she played Momiji as she doesn't appear to have any noble voice roles since then. And sh- should also point out that, in all honesty, I kind of find her to be the weakest of the original cast. Oh, really? Yeah, like, not bad, but like, uh, listening to Michaela Krantz do Momiji, it's like, okay, she's light years ahead of Kimberly Grant. Oh, okay. And other than sporting a new VA, Momiji is also sporting a German accent, as that wasn't present in the original. He didn't have his accent in the original anime. Right, because he had that heritage, but like... But
2: it was just like,
1: yeah, we'll tell you he's half German, half Japanese. Well, it's
2: another question if, like, the original manga made a point of that, that he had an accent.
1: They did. Okay, so like, that's... there are
2: moments in the original manga where he actually does speak... Full German sentences. Okay, that's that's an important factor in there. It would have been it would have been an entirely different thing if they just brought up the heritage, but it didn't figure into like the way they talked or anything. Yeah. But because it figures into the way into like the speech angle, that's a big factor you got to take. Yeah, because like.
1: it it becomes a plot point later on.
2: And that becomes a really big problem yeah. for casting, because not often are you required to do an accent on a character. And that is much harder to cast because you got to do it convincingly. Mm-hmm.
1: And by the way, this is not the first time on this podcast we've had uh, a character played by Michaela Krantz, who is a cute, blonde German boy in an anime, because uh, if you remember all the way back in episode two, Interviews with Monster Girls, she was Kurtz. <laughs> like, I've noticed in recent years, uh, she's actually been kind of the go-to when it comes to German characters in anime, because we have her as Momiji here, we had her as Kurtz in Monster Girls... She's also played a German character in this uh, recent series I've seen called After School Dice Club. And she even busted out a German accent in Chio School Road for a joke. Do we know if she has any, like, actual German heritage or... I don't know, but the way... Honestly, she sounds really convincing that I wouldn't be surprised if she is of uh, German descent. Cause... Either that or she might have just, like, trained herself or trained really in well. one accent. Like, I'm pretty sure... Like, and she thought
2: to herself, one day, I'm gonna be the German girl for anime dubs. Yeah, like,
1: <laughs> and her accent is actually, like I said, really convincing.
2: Like, she's really good at it. I'd have to check online, like, in, like, a forum somewhere to, like, check and see if, like, the accent is actually that convincing. Yeah, but... From, like, uh, native speakers of German. Right. So, uh, what do you think of, uh, little Momiji here? Momiji, fucking adorable, and I gotta say, the the German accent really sells it. Oh, it makes him cuter. <laughs> he's just... <laughs> ah, he's so sweet and really... He's, he's As long like, like he's going to go wear his Liederhosen <laughs> and enjoy some strudel. <laughs> <laughs>
1: oh, my liebschum. <laughs>
2: Maybe it's just I, I I crave that kind of like hokey accent or something. I love it.
1: It's so good.
2: <laughs> That's like so clearly like taken like I imagine from like some certain dialect or like from like a region of Germany or something hmm. like something you would hear around like, Oktoberfest
1: <laughs> over here.
2: But it's real charming to me. <laughs>
1: Uh, we also get to see his Zodiac animal just as soon as we meet him as he eagerly hugs Toru and he transforms into a little bunny. Aww, that's so cute. And joining Momiji is the Soma family doctor and one of the eldest members of the family amongst uh, the curse members besides uh, Shigure and another Soma we'll get to later on. Introducing Hattori Soma, played by Kent Williams, who also played him in the original. Uh, Hattori, more like Tori, Because Damn man. He's fine. He's fine. He does look good. But, uh, thoughts on Hattery.
2: But, yeah, it immediately comes across as, like, the most serious of the Zodiacs we've seen thus far. Mm-hmm, yeah. And he's, uh, he's definitely the
1: most intimidating. One of like, the most knowledgeable about what's going on, too. So he's got a lot of, he's got a lot of knowledge about the family. Yeah. And also the thing that really makes him initially scary at first is the fact that, uh, we find out he is the one who handles the memory wiping. Like, he has the ability to, uh, basically neuralize ya. Right, right. And they say it's through a form of hypnosis. Mm-hmm. Right after they leave, Yuki warns Toru not to be alone with Hatori because he's afraid he might wipe her memories. Unfortunately, Toru doesn't have much of a choice in the matter as Hattori is the one who requests her to come alone to the estate. He didn't ask her to come by so he can neuralize her, but he does want her to stop associating with the Somas, as being a part of their lives can only lead to pain and suffering. Why is that? Because Hattori knows about this firsthand. We learn about this as after Toru inadvertently causes Hattori to transform into a zodiac animal, which is a seahorse as a sign of the dragon. <laughs>
2: <laughs> uh, I, just, I just had a little laugh about
1: that It's great Also
2: had to like look up like the reasoning behind that And realize that like seahorses in Japanese mythology Are believed to turn into dragons one day
1: mm-hmm. Like that that was like an obscure one where I'm like Okay I had to research that one a little bit Yeah but also there are species of seahorses that are uh, called sea dragons Well it's
2: Well there was that angle But like he turns specifically into a seahorse And then I had to figure that out That little bit of like mythology behind them in japan and i'm like oh okay it's
1: kind of interesting wouldn't it be great if he actually turned into a real dragon here giant chinese <laughs> chinese, <laughs> chinese dragon yeah <laughs> he turns into uh shenron from uh
2: dragon dragon ball z oh dear god i'm sure he i'm sure he would have preferred that because he's embarrassed about it in the series. and can, like grant you three wishes oh my god if anyone hugs me i turn what i turn into a little uh a little hippocampus and i like just drown in the air <laughs> and i gotta pray that i'm near a source of water and that it
1: better be salt water <laughs> yeah though uh that does come up because like toru is going like oh what do i do salt water fresh water what do I do but it turns out like uh, it doesn't really matter he just needs like any source of water so while he's knocked out in his seahorse form he flashes back to his time with someone greatly affected by the summer curse hateri's first and only love a woman named kana played here by Kara edwards so, how about Hateri's backstory and how fucking depressing it is?
2: Uh, yeah, the first of many, uh, sad backstories where, like, we learned that, uh, you know, he was in a situation much like, a Kyo and Yuki where they, uh, they did find somebody who was totally, who was totally cool with the whole turning into an animal thing
1: in their lives. Because when she found out about it, she found out about it the same way Toru did for, like, accidentally hugged him and just wondering, like, what kind of water does he need?
2: But she got really chill of it with it and learned to, like, Hateri. And so we learned that uh, the uh, the head of the family did not approve of their relationship because she was an outsider, and then pushed Hattori into a mirror and uh, damaged, which uh, broke, resulting in a shard
1: of mirror uh, damaging uh, one of his eyes. Yeah, he goes blind in his left eye here. Partially blind. Partially blind. And then you just have Akito just yelling and screaming at Kana, saying that this is all your fault you're the reason why he's nearly blind in one eye this is because of you
2: which, which is the beginning of a thread we will see with this character of Akita
1: yeah yeah Kana soon fell ill after this and Hatri had to make the toughest decision of his entire life he decides to erase Kana's memories of their relationship and he lets her go never wanting to be around her again as much as he wants to it's like goddamn, dude <laughs> he just wants to protect her because he loves her and it's just like I gotta let you go I can't let you be a part of our lives anymore. It'll just lead to more pain and suffering. And since then, Kana has found someone else and is engaged to be married. But that doesn't bother Hattori, because all that matters is her happiness. I think it bothers him a little bit. A little bit, but it's just like, it's for the best. And I love the scene afterwards when Hattori wakes up and it starts snowing. And they ask Toru what becomes of snow when it melts. And she says, spring comes the very same answer kana gave him when he asked her the same question right before they fell in love like it, this is the moment when Hatsuri sees that toru is something really special and starts to take a liking to her and wants to protect her from all the stuff that may eventually happen to her
2: yeah because you get the sense that like yeah there's there's a <laughs> very common thread of like a, of like use in this family yeah people a- have that people have suffered in this family being
1: a soma is rough Like, if you're a part of this family, you're just gonna have to go through all the ten circles of hell right here.
2: Although, can we also touch upon the fact real quick about, like, the weird structure of the family, too? Yeah, yeah. That there's, like, like, over, like, 200 (laughs) people in the entire family. Yeah, and they're, like,
1: all... Because they
2: they own a massive estate. Mm Mm-hmm. They you own know, a massive estate that has all these like other homes in it. Practically a fucking neighborhood. This freaking
1: compound here. Yeah, a compound basically that like a cult. You can put a cult in. Yeah, all walled off from the outside world. Only Somas can come in.
2: But there's approximately like 150 like members of the Soma family that are considered in the outer limb, outer part that are considered the outer circle. Mm-hmm. And then there's only around like 50 members of the family that are considered the inner circle. You know, the inner circle with Jake Hager and Sammy Guevara and the inner circle is has the zodiacs in there and only a ha- and even then only a handful of people in the inner circle know about the zodiacs v- wow this yeah.
0: family
1: <laughs> what a legacy this is almost like a royal family here this is like a royal family like jesus christ like different lineages like people marrying in, within the family where you have like different generations cousins once or twice removed or everything like that it's it's nuts
2: and I also realized, oh wow, this is also per- the size of the family is probably also the excuse for how we can have members of the same family like crushing on each other, <laughs> right? Because like it's implied that like they're just distant enough. And the series, I noticed. Doesn't really explain how far apart these family members are. Yeah, that's one of the
1: things where it's like, I do like the... They do
2: clarify that some are cousins, Mm -hmm. but for other characters, they don't clarify that. Yeah. And I went online, and I could not find an adequate family tree for all these characters. And that's where I realized, like, oh, that's that's the writing technique we're implying here. Mm Mm-hmm. The ambiguous, <laughs> the ambiguous
1: distance in the family between family members and the family tree. Yeah, you know, you just gotta at least thinking your head, saying like, okay, they're cousins once or twice removed. Maybe they're family members married into the family, or like there's are Parents or whatever are also distant cousins enough too.
2: Yeah, it's like a weird like map you kind of have to do
1: in your head. It's like a six degrees of separation here.
2: Yeah, and that's where I was just like, okay, like wh-
1: which cousins are trying to fuck like the other cousin <laughs> here? Like, is this incestuous? Or is it not? Please be not. Is this is
2: that Japanese thing where they're okay with the cousins like <laughs>
1: fucking other cousins. Is this like the early double Sailor Moon where Neptune and Uranus are fucking despite being cousins? <laughs>
2: God, the sheer size of this family tree. Even like Scrooge McDuck would look at like this like family tree and be like, "Okay, y'all need to like get, get like quit with the fucking here."
1: Geez, <laughs> that's some other people to this family. Why don't you? <laughs> uh, but before spring can come, we need to get through New Year first, as is the tradition. New Year's is the time to relax and be with your family. This seems like a very Japanese thing I'm noticing because in a lot of other anime, when it comes to like New Year's time, it's usually like this is family time, no one else. Whereas like you know with here uh, with us in the Western world, we usually save that for, like, the holidays before New Year's, whereas uh, New Year's is the time to just get drunk and party with your friends. I know, you just you just get drunk and, like, put Usher in the New Year, and you yeah. just, like, live it up. It's really weird, because, like, Japanese New Year's seems very relaxing. It does seem very relaxing. Like, I, I could totally get behind much that. Much more chill. I could totally get behind that, just sitting in a warm house, just watching TV, you look at your phone and go, like, ah. It's midnight happy new year yeah you know it's much more low-key not like us where we got friggin blind stick and drunk <laughs> <laughs> hey i'll take that as well i'll do i'm so down with that too i'll, I'll have you we or. got family time on christmas yeah, like that's what it's for. it just
2: passed and like besides in japan they don't do they, they're not as big on the whole family thing for christmas you know yeah Christmas it's more like a holiday ro- for like dates and yeah, stuff. yeah it's a romantic holiday
1: exactly so like whatever Yeah, but uh, unfortunately for Toru, this is going to be her first New Year's without any family, as this New Year's is the first one since her mom died. Everyone's really worried about her, but she assures them that she'll be fine and that they should just go and be with their families. You know, don't mind her. And Yuki, Kyo, and Shigure have to attend a big banquet at the Soma Estate, as is the big tradition for their family. And they have to stay there until at least January 3rd which means Toru's going to have to stay all by herself in that house until then. The Somas leave, but on their way to the estate, they bump into Hanishan, and she points out to them that despite Toru's best wishes, they shouldn't have left her alone. And like the good boys they are, Yuki and Kyo go rushing back and, as they want to get back to Toru. And I like some of the other uh, reasoning they put into going back is because, you know, they hear stories of uh, burglars in the area and, she, and they're like, oh no, she's probably going to let him in and offer tea to the burglar. We better go save her from that. I believe she would do that. She would totally do that. <laughs> and to be honest, if Toro did do that, then the burglar would be like, you know what? I don't want to burgle anymore. I'm gonna li- I'm gonna go straight and live my my best life. Thank you, Miss Honda. <laughs> <laughs> it's the kind of wholesome like joke they would like totally do. She kill him with kindness. <laughs> you know, she call the cops and be like, huh, this this uh, this robber actually pretty decent i don't think you could take him in Mm -hmm. and uh so when they get back to the house it looks like they got back right in time as uh, they see her sitting in the living room by herself with just a picture of her mom and it looks like she was just about to start crying there and yuki and kyo say screw you to the banquet and spend new year's with toru and they watch the first sunrise of the year with her it's also sweet
2: it also feels like they kind of just wanted to tease the Banquet for when, like, the series eventually progresses to the next year so they can yeah. actually do that. So they can spend the whole year introducing all the other Zodiac members. You know, the Soma Banquet is like uh, the reverie in uh, One Piece. Yeah, pretty much. And, and yeah, rightfully so. You know, New Year's and stuff. Mm-hmm. Zodiac, you know. So they gotta, they really gotta ramp
1: up to that. Though it's like... They spend, like, days there. It's like, what do you do for, like, three days at, like, a SOMA family banquet? Like, I know there's a big dinner and probably people getting drunk, but other than that, what else?
2: Yeah, you better have, like, a TV around (laughs) or something to,
1: like, watch a game or... You know, you gotta watch the Orange Bowl come January 1st, and also you gotta have, like, the Winter Classic from the NHL. yeah. you
2: better have shit to do there, because you're you're just stuck on the compound. You don't leave or anything. So you gotta be stuck around your family for, like, three days. You gotta
1: have plenty of oranges to snack on, too. Yeah, you better have, like, plenty of, like, candy, you know, your grandmother better have plenty of candy or something. You know, we need to have the TV open so we can watch uh, New Year's Rockin'
2: Eve, too. Yeah, so everybody can just, like, sit around, loaf around, and just watch watch what's
1: on the TV. <laughs> not talk to each other. And then we all gotta, like, uh, try to sing Auld all Lang Sign while, while not knowing the words at all. Yes, exactly. That's how you really spend New Year's. Mm-hmm. And yeah, with this scene here, like, if you weren't sure how much Kyo and Yuki really care about Toru, then this should really
7: get that over,
1: like, they really love her to death. So we move on to the new school term as it's underway, and Toru and friends are participating in a long distance running event. Out of everyone, Kyo is the most excited for this as it's just another chance that he has to beat Yuki in something. This would probably be his best bet as Yuki seems to be feeling under the weather and despite Toru's worries, he participates anyway. So while running, Toru happens to come across a person with white hair lying on the ground. She assumes it's an old man who fell and goes to help him, but it turns out it's just simply a boy with white and black hair. Boy happens to be looking for Yuki and Kyo and he gets their attention by pulling some wily coyote shit and tying a rope to a pole and using it to trip up Kyo as he falls flat on his face.
2: I appreciate the Looney Tunes inspiration. <laughs>
1: and I like the I like the little uh, PSA he gives to the to the audience here where he's like Not everyone's skull is thick as Kyo's. Don't try this at home. (laughs) Yeah, I remember that's that's a little one. Remember back to the days of like Sonic X, Sonic telling me not to chase Hedgehogs with uh, Formula One race cars. I appreciate anime continues to uh, teach us life lessons to this very day. (laughs) So all four of them move over to a nearby underpass as we are formally introduced to Hatsuharu Soma, played in the original and in the reboot by Justin Cook. And what do you think of Hado here? Uh Um. He's all
2: right out of all the, well, out of all the Zodiacs we see in the series so far. I think he was the one that interested me the least. If only because I feel like they only gave him so much to work with plot-wise. I mean, I, I imagine they'll probably, like, work, they would probably work more with him, like, later in the story or something. But, um, no, I thought he was all right, though, for what
1: it was. Especially with his um, little gimmick of uh, switching on and off between two forms. And uh, we find out the reason why Haru's been looking for them is he wants to fight Kyo because they bailed on New Year's Eve, That so he's come to take the fight to him. And uh, I love the part where he says, like, he spent the last three days trying to get there, mostly because he got lost. <laughs> <laughs> and so their fight begins, and yeah, we get to the part where he uh, has his gimmick where he has a split personality and he transforms into Dark Haru. And basically, when he's in Dark Haru mode... He's more loud, aggressive, and also really flirty towards Yuki. He's more like, he's, he's a little more like Kyo. Yeah, but uh, I, I really like Dark Haru. It's a, it's, a, it's a fun gimmick. But as soon as they start their fight, it's put on hold as Yuki passes up from a fever. They plan on getting him back home, but they can't call for someone to pick him up because they left their cell phones at school. And they can't call a cab because they can't risk Yuki transforming in front of someone. So the best way to do this is to have Haru carry him on his back. And the way he does this is by hugging Toru so he can transform into a zodiac animal, the ox. Or rather, he really just turns into, like, a spotted cow. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and they get him home to rest while Kyo heads back to school. And since Haru's no longer Dark Haru, their fight is canceled. He's just like, eh, I don't want to fight anymore. I love the I love the ride back where, like, Haru is, like, in his cow form. And they're just getting, like, trailed by kids who so are <laughs> all like, yay, cow! Uh, cow! And then Kyo's just like, back off, kids! <laughs> And, uh, yeah, so Kyo goes back to school, and then Shiguri follows him so he can get Yuki and Toto's things, and I just want to mention, I like the brick joke at the end of this episode, where we just see them, j- they're just playing cards with Hana-chan at school. Because <laughs> <laughs> they are just given up on, like, the tra- on like the running tracks. So. Yeah, like, she quits as, as soon as it starts, and then she just starts playing cards, and then the gym teacher's just like... Just go home, Hanajima. <laughs> so Toru and Haru stay back to watch over Yuki, and Haru tells Toru the story about his relationship with him and why he actually loves him. And uh, you told me about the scene the other day, like you were texting me how much you really dug this. Well, I was well, I was like a little bit in like my
2: uh, I think I was a little um, I think I just gotten home from visiting a brewery, mm-hmm. <laughs> so I was still feeling the buzz. <laughs> so I was just like, who, "What's this weird fucking cow like doing with this <laughs> weird fucking cat?" <laughs> this shit's insane <laughs> so i i admit I, I i was under i was a little bit on the influence at that time
1: <laughs> but i still dug it no, it's a really great scene in like understanding like their feelings for each other for him i just I, I just like to talk to you and like show that i'm engaging in <laughs> it
2: <laughs> and this did it for me it was entertaining that's why i texted about
1: it okay <laughs> But yeah, we find out the story that Haru used to hate Yuki because of the Zodiac story and how he was treating treated as an idiot because of it, because in the story, the rat got to the banquet first because he was riding on the uh, the back of the ox. You know, he, hate, he harbored a hatred for Yuki for a long time when they were kids, but then it just stopped when Yuki just smiled at him and then just fell in love with him right then and there. Yuki was the first person to ever show him any kindness, and it's just really, really sweet. It seems like, uh, at least to me, the reboot is really emphasizing Haru's love for Yuki a lot more than the original anime. Mm. Like uh, it's present there, but uh, it didn't seem like it was big enough. Because honestly, until I rewatched the the re- until I watched the reboot for the first time, I actually forgot about this b- plot point. Mm, okay, so it, it
2: kind of went by a little fast.
1: Yeah, but uh, in this episode and in later episodes, we get scenes uh, between Yuki and Haru, and I just love Haru's reaction whenever he sees Yuki. He Just kind of like r- walks up to him and kind of like puts his arm on his shoulders or kind of onto his sides a bit. And it's actually really cute. Yeah, a very cute familial love there. Yeah, and also, Haru comes off as a bit more moe, in this, in all honesty. <laughs> really? He, he kind of does, and I'm all in on it. <laughs> uh, you know what else is cute? Uh, y- after Yuki wakes up, Toru, at the request of Haru, calls Yuki by his given name for the first time, which causes him to, like, blush so hard that he actually transforms back into a rat. <laughs> but, uh, you know, after some of the heavy stuff with, like, Hatsuharu, we kind of get, like, a really nice, sweet moment here introducing Hatsuharu, and, like, we get to see his relationship with Yuki, and it's just, like... It makes me realize that the series really does, you know... I really do hit you with like the big emotional moments, but then give you enough levity to kinda of get you back into it. It thrives a lot in the smaller moments. Mm-hmm. It definitely does. So things are gonna get even sweeter as Valentine's Day is upon us, which uh, Oh
2: boy. <laughs> Valentine's Day in a series like this. Yeah, though for us, Valentine's Day has already passed. <laughs> yep, already passed. I spent it
1: watching Miraculous Ladybug season three. Day well spent. And I spent it working. I would say that was day well spent. I made money. Who cares? <laughs> <laughs> Who doesn't love money? <laughs> money can be used for goods and services. <laughs> Though uh, Valentine's Day isn't sweet for everyone, as Kyo really dreads this day. Can you guess why? Mm, I imagine why. Because Kagura. Ah. <laughs> I like to imagine when Kyo tries to leave the school, only to see Kagura waiting for him He's just uh, in his head. He just hears the Kill Bill siren music. <laughs> Kagura wants to go on a date, Valentine's date with Kyō, but he obviously says no. Then Kagura is just a double date, her and Kyō, and Tōru and Yuki. And he's still opposed to this because he doesn't want to hang around with that damn rat. He brings this up to uh, Shigure, who postulates that the reason Kyō hates Yuki so much is because he's afraid of getting close to him and getting to know him. And this causes uh, Kyō to run off after having a really interesting, brief, few-second flashback here. We don't see much of it, but it it looks bad. After Kyo runs off, Toru goes after him, and then when she reaches him, he manages to calm down, and then he reluctantly agrees to go on the the double date, for Toru's sake. As the four go on their date, Shigure heads to the estate to give the other Soma's chocolates from Toru, and then there, he and Hatri have an interesting chat, which Hatri brings up Shigure's manipulation and how it's all for his own end.
2: Yeah, this is more something that's, like, teased a little bit more throughout the season, but doesn't really come into any kind of fruition.
1: This is, like, one of those, like, long-term booking kind of thing this really is and uh in the original anime besides the opening bit with valentine's day and kyo avoiding kagura and all that and toro buying chocolates for everyone the rest of this episode is not present in the original anime like, Ooh. the double date uh kyo's uh, like running off after that flashback in shikari's manipulation especially that's not present in this episode or any of the original anime Hmm, don't know how I feel about that. Yeah, like, it, originally the episode just starts with Valentine's Day and then skips ahead to the White Day stuff. Hmm, okay. So, some rather important stuff goes down, and, like, while it doesn't factor into the season too much, like you said, it's it's gonna get brought up again down the road, there's no doubt about that. Oh, yeah. And also, Shigeru's somewhat manipulative personality, like, like, in the original anime, he just seems more like an aloof guy who likes to tease others for his amusement, but. Here, there's really more to him. I don't know what it is, but for now, it's just another mystery. You can tell he's got some irons in the fire, but you don't know for what purposes. I can never read that guy. Uh, To end this episode off on a lighter note, as everyone comes home, we're introduced to another character, uh, Mitsuru, played here by Cynthia Kranz, who's reprising her role from the original, and this is Shigure's editor, as he is a professional writer. Really? A minor character like that got to come back, even. Yep, uh, she's actually more prominent in the original, because, you know, like I said, comedy's more of a focus here. There's a lot of scenes of her and uh, Shigure, because, yeah, he loves to pick on her a lot.
2: Oh, I could
1: imagine the original anime going a country mile with this character. Yeah, though surprisingly, they don't go as dark as they do with her in this and the manga. Because like uh, here, we have her like comically trying to commit suicide because she's so depressed that Shigure just constantly is teasing her so much that she just almost kind of like slinging her wrist or hanging herself.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. maybe, maybe, maybe around this uh, this time and era, maybe not want to joke about that.
1: Yeah, yeah, we'll say that was probably my only negatives about this show. Anyway, after Valentine's Day, we move on to White Day, one month later, which is in Japanese culture the day where boys who receive chocolates from girls on Valentine's Day pay them back. Why white? I don't get that. I don't know. It's just you know, it's, it's light springtime. I don't know. I'll have to look that one up sometime. I don't know why it's called White Day. And as mentioned before, the original anime just skips ahead t- to this part, though it was still split up into two episodes. Really? Like, two episodes? Like, you can do this in one episode. So yeah, this was split up into two episodes, but like, uh, the first episode focusing on, like, the Valentine's Day and the early half of the White Day stuff, and then the second episode is just focusing on the White Day gift itself. That White Day gift being uh, from Momiji, as he plans on bringing Toru, Yuki, and Kyo to a Hot Springs Inn. As it seems like she's had some money troubles as the last month she spent most of her money she earned from her part-time job on the Valentine's chocolates for everyone. Uh, like, they all wonder why she would do something like that at her own expense with Kyo, even calling it stupid and idiotic.
2: Like, dear God, that's enough money to, like, put down like, your
1: tax form. Like, <laughs> yeah, I spent my I spend my money for that whole month on, like, chocolate for my friends. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Uh, but uh, this whole thing leads to Momiji telling them a story that reminds him of Toru. It's a story of a traveler who is duped into giving everything they ever owned to strangers and eventually getting eaten by demons taking advantage of their kindness. In the end, the traveler didn't care as they were just happy to help. And through this story, they realize how much Toru really does for others without asking for anything in return. And they decide to use the hot springs chip as a way to pay back her kindness. And uh, in the original anime, this is where the episode ends with Kyo saying like, okay, We're gonna go to the hot springs like you deserve this and then the next episode picks up right when the trip for the trip okay and they end up having a really nice trip to the inn and there toru has a nice moment with the innkeeper as her child is also part of the zodiac the monkey to be specific and she hopes toru can meet them and be friends with them in the future hang on to that and then meanwhile we get a bit where uh toru gets her uh personal return gift which is a blue ribbon from yuki looks quite nice on her very nice and it's a really sweet scene And uh, while this episode stays mostly the same as the original anime, my only one disappointment in this is that we don't get the uh, the really cute moment of Toto and Momiji singing together in the hot springs the original had. Oh, really? I'll have to look that up. That yeah, sounds like a sweet little moment. Yeah, like Momiji teaches her a song that uh, he used to know when he was like a little baby. And it's all, it's it's very sweet. There's like a lyric into it where it's like, The birds and the bees sing Momiji. Like a song dedicated just to him. <laughs> oh, cute. <laughs> and as soon as White Day ends, it's time to gear up for the new school year. And Toru, Yuki, and Kyo are all going to be second years. But they won't be alone as they find out that Momiji and Hatsuharu are going to be joining them too as first years. So yeah, by the way, Momiji and Haru are the same age and also one year younger.
2: Momiji, that little punk, trying to like talk
1: about, he was talking before how he wanted to like bathe
2: with like Toru and he's only like one year younger, like didn't want to convey that information to Toru, like she wouldn't think that's a little creepy. He is kind of a little shit. Important information, you little shit. Oh, but we still love you.
1: You little (laughs) shitsa. oh man, we have to talk about the scene where they meet up with Momiji and Haru at school, because it's amazing. So like, uh, during this Oh scene, yeah, I
2: think I remember this too. Yeah, this, is
1: like the, this is like one of those scenes that like people quote a lot. This is the one scene that I was really, really looking forward to the reboot. Like, as soon as it was announced, I'm just like
4: Oh, we're gonna get
1: this again. So during the scene, we are introduced to the uh, student council president, uh, Makoto Takei, played here by Kyle Abair, who came back from the original anime. And uh, throughout the scene, he's just giving out to everyone, especially uh, Momiji and Haru, as uh, he's, he's Mr. Rules, so you know, he's going to enforce the rules. You know, rules are rules, Momiji. So you can't wear a girl's uniform. How you're a boy, you can't do that.
2: Yeah, he's giving shit, you know, because he adheres to
1: heteronormative like <laughs> views. Um, <laughs> What what clothing people should wear. He's definitely going to hate a certain other Soma later on. Mm. <laughs> and also he doesn't like Haru because he wears a lot of jewelry. You know, he rolls up his sleeves on his uniform. And also he doesn't like... It appears that he dyes his hair white and black. God forbid he puts some style into those soulless uniforms that, like, Japanese students have to wear. I feel like I could never do the uniform thing if I were in high school there. Fuck
2: that. I could never do it. I would have to spice it up somehow. Yeah. Like a jacket or something. Or, like... I don't know, like, just putting some accessories or airs somewhere, unbuttoning something. Yeah, I would, I would never button up It would be stuffy.
1: Yeah. Ugh. And I hear it gets hot in there in the summer, man. And they yeah. still let you wear that. they still have you wear those winter uniforms well into spring. Yeah, yeah. It, uh, uh, no. <laughs> no. And so, and like, uh, he's just giving out to them, and then Haru just turns into dark Haru form, and then he starts to like, reason with them, especially the girls that are uh, with the president, and saying like, hey, doesn't Momiji look pretty cute? What if uh what do you know in a couple of years he's gonna get older and isn't gonna be pretty hot later on? Then be all like, okay, he can wear the uniform, he looks good in it. Let him be cute for now. The president still brings up saying, like okay, that's fine for now. But you, Hatsaharu, I don't like that hair. I don't like that you dye your hair black and white. It's like, no, this is my natural hair color. Oh yeah? Prove it. And then we have
2: this famous like bit of
1: comedy. And I'll splice you it in because it's amazing. Although you really have to, like, see it, though, to really... You have to see it to believe it, but even hearing it is still... It's still really good.
9: Please forgive me. I got carried away. You are quite the formidable opponent, Mr. Hatsuharu Soma. But can you prove to me that your hair is without a doubt its natural color?
4: If I have to. This should be rich. Undeniable proof? I highly doubt it. Hey, wait!
0: Excuse me! Ah!
4: Undeniable proof I see there is still much to learn of this world. He didn't, he did.
9: Fine, you're the victor on this day. But each of you will feel my retribution next time.
3: See
6: you soon mommy G
3: <laughs> What was the reason that guy showed up again? Um. So how did you prove that that was your real hair color in the bathroom?
4: Easy. If you'd like, I'd be happy to show you as well. Uh-huh. Don't you worry. No hugging is necessary for us to give in to
7: Dark is the one guy I can't
3: handle. I'm confused.
2: Yep, they just both, yep, Hatsuhara just brings the
1: president right into the bathroom. You hear some screams. They <laughs> come out. And he's just all like amazing evidence <laughs> <laughs> and then and then like uh toru's just going like wait what did he do and then and then yuki and kyo are just like don't tell her <laughs> but like we all know what he did yeah we all know <laughs> anyway after the scene toru heads out outside alone as things start to get more and more serious it's here where she finally meets the head of the soma clan akito and i was see an akito's introduction
10: you look like you're having fun. Huh?
0: We've got a visitor. At school. Akito's here.
4: I yearned for so much from inside that dark room. I wanted so many things. Apparently Akito up and decided to visit the school.
0: We thought it would be best to warn you two so you weren't surprised. Especially if you don't want to see each other.
10: Act, ah, I'm very pleased to
3: meet you! I don't understand. Why is Akito at our school? Should we really be meeting like this? I didn't expect the family head to be so young, or as beautiful as Yuki. Wait, this is the person who hurt Hatori's eye. Hmm.
10: You strike me as quite feminine. Gentle, too. I'm glad you seem like such a good girl. And most importantly, you're also very cute. What? Oh no, I'm just a normal... <laughs> <laughs> Don't get flustered. I'm just stating the obvious. Sorry it took me so long to introduce myself. I'm rather shy when it comes to strangers. I hope you're not free. No, no, of course not. That's a relief. So, how about a formal introduction? Nice to meet you. I'm Akito, head of the family.
3: Yes, right! But please, the pleasure is all mine. It's strange. Akito comes off as much softer than I had expected.
10: Now that we've met, I'm hoping we'll be able to get along well. Please take care of Yuki and the others. Uh, Akito! uh, Ah, Yuki. I was hoping I'd run into you. My boy. Feels like a lifetime has gone by since I saw you last. Can't believe how grown up you look. You're taller, right? What did you do? What did you say to Miss Honda? Nothing. I was simply paying my respects. Isn't that right, Toro? Wasn't I just paying my respects? Um, yes, that's right. But Yuki, now that you're here, there is a question that's been weighing on my mind. What would possibly make you skip New Year's with me? Don't you know how that makes me feel? Especially when I have been so generous to you lately. When you do foolish things like that, it really hurts my feelings. I wonder if this means you need a little re-educating. Perhaps some time in your special room as an order. You recall those days. Would you like to repeat them? Or do you remember how to be a good boy?
3: sorry but we have to get back to class now you know or else we'll be in trouble
10: of course forgive me i suppose i should be getting back to Shigure and company anyway they're probably worried yuki i hope that you're enjoying your time at this school and remember it would make me happy if you visited
1: Now, with Akito here comes one of the biggest, and I mean biggest, changes from the original and the reboot, specifically when it comes to casting and characterization, as Akito was originally played by an actor by the name of Chad Klein, while here Akito is now played by Colleen Klinkenbeard. The reason for this recasting is because uh, in the story Akito's gender is meant to be more ambiguous and more of a mystery, this is actually a big plot point that doesn't get resolved until later on in the story from what I hear. But in the original they just flat out say Akito's male, so it kind of makes you wonder if the original did get like a second season, how would they have fixed that? Because there's no way they could have.
2: Mm, no, because that like that's like that's a big like character thing though. That's a very big thing that ties into like this uh, particular character and what they personally went through. Mm-hmm. But uh, what do you think of this introduction here? Uh, pretty overall good introduction. Uh, very intimidating. Um, uh, really sets up this character for being a longer term uh, source of conflict. Yeah. for every for every character involved.
1: Especially with Yuki, because they have a history and it feels like Yuki is downright terrified of Akito.
2: You, you begin to realize, okay, everything is gonna... This is the character where every... Almost every trouble in the series is gonna tie back to.
1: Any problem that any of the Somos run into... It all comes back to Akito, but uh, we'll we'll lighten the mood here and forget about Akito for now, and the best way to uh, do this is to introduce another Soma, and we have the right Soma for the job. During the day, Toru has a run-in with Snake, and not just any snake. This snake is specifically Yuki's older brother, Ima Soma, played once again by Christopher Sabat. Man, I'm starting to realize, Chris Sabat and Eric Vale, they can never escape each other, can they? They just find each other together so often. You know, it's like in Dragon Ball Z, they're father and son with Vegeta and Trunks. In One Piece, they're rivals with Zoro and Sanji. In My Hero Academia, they're enemies with All Might and Tomura Shigaraki.
2: I know, it's like, it's almost like, it's like one, like, relationship they have as characters builds up on the next. Next thing you know, they're just getting casting with each other, because they're just
1: like, you guys work, work off each other pretty well. Yeah, they just have, like, a really interesting dynamic that I have no doubt doing roles like this is what made them friends in real life. It'd be a good question to, like, pose to uh, the both of them about, like, how they interact with each other, like, in the booth and how that's evolved over the years. Yeah, because, like, especially with Dragon Ball Z, because Chris Savage's the director in there, so, like, playing his father and directing him is just, like, you can imagine there was, like, a lot of back-and-forths good back and forth stuff between them while they record. I imagine that- yeah, I imagine it would be a good question to probe their, probe their brains about. And also another thing about Chris Sabat playing Ima here is that uh, he has said he is really excited to come back to this role after so many years because anytime he would get, be a guest at a con, he would always get asked about his experience playing Ima in the original Fruits Basket anime, but unfortunately, because that role was so long ago, he couldn't remember much of anything. Well, now he can remember it yeah. all over again, because he got to play it all over. Yeah, because, you know, like, uh, back then, the series was only, like, one season, and IMA only really, really appears in three episodes, so don't blame him too much for not remembering. Right, it was so long ago, three episodes, yeah, understandable. But now he knows, like, he knows how important the series is to, like, fans and people, and he's just like, okay, I don't have m- much memories from the past, but I can make new memories with IMA now. And boy, what a character to return to. Yeah, like, what do you think of him, man? Uh, campy and fun as all hell. He's he's so cool. He's the kind of person like I would actually love to hang out with at least once. <laughs> right? <laughs> Just so chill with
2: everything. Like good talker. Mm-hmm. You know he really know he really knows how to uh, spin a situation
1: in a, into into a fun way. He also really knows how to light up a room too. Like every time he does. And his relationships with, like, uh, some of the other older members of the, uh, the Soma family, especially with, the uh, Shigure, I love their kind of almost flirty dynamic with each other.
2: I know, like, yeah, you, you can tell there's, like, this sort of, like, history where, like, they just, like, joked with each other about, like, being, like, a couple
1: or yeah. something. I have no doubt that they probably fucked once. <laughs> <laughs> it's like Kenny Omega and Koto Ibushi. you look at them and you go, like, yeah, I can see it. I, at least, if not, like, physically, then,
2: like, Emotionally. Emotionally.
1: Emotionally. <laughs> Uh, now, nah. how about his relationship with uh, Yuki, younger brother, here? Hmm, not too bad, not too bad. About the about the relationship, I would have expected. You know, pretty much, like, the older brother is just someone you can't really stand, and it's just, like, you know, pretty much a strained relationship, typical of, like, some brothers like this.
2: To be fair, IMA does also get very chummy with uh, the ladies really easily, like oh, Toru. Yeah. Yeah, and I'm he's pretty- got that personality that really gravitates him towards people. Easily. And I can I can see that really bothering Yuki,
1: especially like saying the- especially
2: Yuki, who's who's already got trouble like relating to some people, and is already building up uh, a relationship with um, Toru here. So
1: yeah, he- <laughs> he's he's feeling like his turf is being uh, encroached upon. Mm-hmm. And also, like uh, we start to get more and more hints as to why their relationship is so strained because we don't really get we don't really see what happened. But we get it's implied that uh, because Yuki had a bad run in with Akito, he went to IMA for help, but IMA couldn't help him. It's like so back- it's resulting in a bit of a strained relationship on Yuki's end. Yeah, you know, it's like back then, Yuki he didn't he didn't need a partner, he didn't need a friend, he just needed his older brother. <laughs> yeah. But now he doesn't need him or want him anymore. But uh, with Toru's advice, uh, IMA does try to do the best he can to bond with his younger brother and like one of the best ways he tries to do this is uh, telling stories about the time when he was a student council president and uh, Hattori was his right-hand man. And uh, the one story he tells is pretty great where he talks about during a school trip a bunch of boys uh, got a little randy one night and made their way to like a very skeezy red light district. The school found out about this and the plan was to expel them That is, until IMA stepped in and defended the boys. You know, he's just like, okay, boys, they're obviously going to have sexual desires at this age. It's only natural, so here's a compromise. Instead of doing what they did, how about they have their sexual desires about me? Did they all get together and have a
2: threesome in the red light district? (laughs) That's what, like, the implication is. Because I'm thinking, like, okay, they get down there. Well... What are they gonna do there? Like, are they gonna go into like an adult store or
1: something? Yeah, you know, one of those love hotels. Like, are they gonna go into like a love hotel or something? Yeah, do a one night stand, that sort of thing. (laughs) Get your (laughs) just like awkwardly like jerk off in a circle. you are gonna go into an
2: adult boutique and buy like buy like a fake ass or something. <laughs> you know, get one of those
1: dragon dildos. <laughs>
2: <laughs> it's like they could not have gotten very far out in that district.
1: Yeah. But then again, yeah, do you think like the people running those businesses were probably just like, eh, customer's a customer? Well, no, no. I imagine like they
2: do have like some vetting for like people who come in, I imagine.
6: Mm.
2: Unless they got like unless they got like told on by like a by like a somebody snitching or something. Oh, okay. Then again, they're pretty distru- discreet out in those places, so I imagine not so. A teacher probably had to, like, fish them out or something. Right just catching them all trying to get Randy with each other in a hotel room or something I don't fucking know like <laughs> I'm so confused as to like what they could have done out there mm-hmm. but the
1: only logical conclusion is that they tried to fuck each other <laughs> and just like you know I is just saying like okay have your desires but think of me when you're doing that <laughs> and I love the line where he says where he's talking about like you know his uh, sexual preferences where he's saying like am I a bottom or am I a top I am a bottom all the way <laughs>
2: it's one of those things you just know in your heart <laughs> <laughs> I can see it everybody knows from the day they're born what they're gonna be and like he knows
1: exactly what he is she grazed the top <laughs> But uh, in the end, it was Hattori who helped smooth things over and save the boys from expulsion. And it's moments like that are the reason why Ayame has uh, such respect for Hattori and why those two and Shigari are kind of seen as, like, uh, they say they're the three musketeers of the uh, Soma family and why they're so close over the years. But, uh, you know, Ayame still has a lot to learn when it comes to bonding with Yuki, but you can tell that Yuki is at least he's at least acknowledging that he's trying but it's like you're gonna have to do a lot more than regale weird stories from when you were younger yeah so after all that i think we need a break so we're gonna take five and we'll be right back with the rest of fruits basket
4: So please just accept. Besides, where else do you have to go?
0: Ah!
7: Are you ready for a beating, rat boy?
1: We're back with the second half of season one, and uh, first things first is the new opening and ending. We have "Chime" by I Otsuka, and the ending is "One Step Closer" by Intersection. What do you think of these? Mm, not too bad as well. Uh, I like the first opening a little bit more. To it's be much honest. better. Like uh, to be honest, I don't know how I feel about uh, having an upbeat opening for Fruits Basket. Like I more prefer the slower, more ballad, slower,
2: contemplative, mm-hmm. a little sad but a little hopeful. Yeah,
1: but uh, we get that with the ending, and I think the ending is like visually like really good and oh yeah so Uki, visually the, the visuals are on point mm-hmm. so uh we ended the first half on a light note let's start the second half with some depressing shit so it'll be now one year since toru's mom passed away and toru plans on making a visit to her grave along with Uochan and Hanachan. she also invites yuki and kyo as she wants to introduce her mom to them yuki accepts the invite but kyo seems to be a little off But despite how he may be feeling, he agrees to go along too. Before we get to that mom stuff, we have some other mom stuff to deal with, specifically Momiji's mom. So while at work, Toro finds out from Momiji that he gets his German heritage from his mom, and he also has a little sister named Momo. However, his sister doesn't know she has a brother, and his mother doesn't know she has a son. You see, when it comes to parents of Zodiac children, they fall into one of two camps. You either love your child unconditionally and want to protect them, or grow to resent them. Unfortunately for Momiji, his mother fell into the ladder. So after he was born, she went to cradle him and he just transformed him into a bunny right then and there. And she was just so distraught and sickened by this. Like she ended up rejecting him and not even calling him her son. Eventually, this led to her actually attempting suicide. And soon after that, uh, the decision was made that it would be best that she just forget all about Momiji. And then she had Hot 3 erase all her memories. And on top of all this, in order to make sure she doesn't remember anything about them, Momiji can't even live with his family. Like, his dad still lives with his wife and daughter, but he can't live with them. He just has to watch them from afar as they walk home together from the office. Like, he's just he's just so close, yet so far away as he just watch, watches Lonnie leave from the window. Jesus Christ, kid. <laughs> That's a sad story, bro. <laughs> and it gets even sadder because uh, we meet momiji's mom and like she's talking with him but uh she doesn't know that she's talking to her son and also momiji hides his german accent from her and just speaks like just to make sure that she doesn't have any inkling of a memory of him so like quick
2: question this this family retains a doctor why don't they retain a therapist <laughs> <laughs> like a counselor of some kind
1: Nah, a therapist would be an outsider
2: no because no 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 this is why this is this is what i don't understand you, you, have a do- you, can af- you can afford to have somebody in the family be a doctor. Why not afford have, to have somebody in the family be a counselor to ease other people outside the family that marry in into this like weird shit? Who would do that job?
1: like fucking like 200 people in this fucking family not one like aspires to be a therapist no like you have to have someone within the cursed zodiac family like the people who know the secret fucking make somebody you got one doctor guy he can double the fuck up (laughs) (laughs) also you have to have two jobs you need to be our family's physician, and you also have to hear all about their issues and And be their therapist.
2: Fuck it, he can do it. (laughs) I just look at all these all these conflicts, and I'm just like, well, I think it's also like the one question I have in a lot of anime when like this doesn't come up. It's like, where are the therapists in these worlds? It's like that's what that's like one idea I had when I was watching uh, like Neon Genesis Evangelion. Like, wow, like no therapists or counselors (laughs) survived the apocalypse. (laughs) They all just like die off in like the. In, like the uh, like the angel attack or something. Nah, man.
1: Third Impact really had an effect on all the therapists in the world. Like they specifically wiped them out. I know, right? <laughs> they had
2: something in on those people. <laughs> they didn't want them around. <laughs> then again, maybe that's the smart strategy. You take out the therapists and counselors first, so nobody knows how nobody's around to help deal with the people who are uh, developing depression from how shitty the world is. So society collapses further.
1: Ah, uh, maybe that's what Akito did because, like, he was specifically said no therapy for anyone. Like, just listen to me. No therapists in the family. No counselors. No social workers anywhere, anywhere near the family. No, like, they're just saying, like, nah. All you need is me. Who cares about any therapist? You just need Akito in your life. Ah, uh, Akito knows all. There's the strategy.
2: There's, there's the one thing that, like, no, like, many people don't think about when writing. Where are the therapists when you
0: need them?
1: <laughs> Well, yeah, just hearing this sad, sad story from momiji just be so close yet so far from his family just makes Toru break down crying. And without hesitation, she just runs up and hugs him. Doesn't matter if he transforms into a bunny, he just needs a fucking hug. And I was right there with Toru. I'm just like, just help this kid. He's gone through a lot. And so the following day, Toru and her friends visit her mom's grave. The visit looks to go well, and everyone seems to be having a nice time. But uh, there's still one person who's very uneasy about the whole thing, and that's Kyo. In fact, he has Hanajan read his waves, and she can sense that he's filled with chaos and guilt. Later on, when they get home, after Toru falls asleep on the porch, Kyo leans in and whispers the words, I'm sorry. And while at the same time, Yuki passes by Toru's room, gust of wind flies by, he picks up some stuff, and then he sees Toru's hat and just has a reaction to it, just like, what's that doing here? More setup for future stuff. And again, none of this in the original anime oh boy <laughs> it's just I did none of this here I see it here I'm just like where's this gonna go where's this leading to weaker or about the same because of it the original anime anyway. the original uh little weaker mm. I can imagine <laughs> <laughs> all this setup here is honestly really juicy as you mentioned the next part that we're gonna get to is definitely not in the original anime at all and that is the two-parter we get on Uo-chan's backstory like how she met Toru and her relationship with Toru's mom like none of this was in the original anime. Honestly, it's structured
2: in such a way to where I could believe that. Because mm-hmm, it's very self-contained, these two episodes. It, it, it very much is. Um, especially with um, the uh, other backstory
1: we, we get with the other friend, as we will see later on as well. Yeah, because like in the original anime, we had the visit to the grave, and then it moves on to meeting the next Soma member.
2: Yeah, it's, it's it's one of those things where, like, yeah, you kind of have to make a decision writing-wise, like, okay, should we focus on this, or should we focus mainly on the family, you know? It's, like, it's a matter of, like, do we spend two episodes, like, two whole episodes fleshing this character out, and you gotta consider how that's gonna factor in later on, you know? Or do we flesh out the main family, because that's where, like, the meat of the whole series is?
1: Yeah. Tough choice. Yeah. But it's really weird, because, like I said, the original anime, one episode longer, covers most of the same stuff, but the reboot does a lot more with only 25 episodes as opposed to 26 episodes. Yeah. It's
2: really weird. And it's just, and it's, like, weird, too, how they manage that. And it's just a one-episode difference, too. That's it. Yeah. And yet it's still so
1: different, Mm -hmm. you know. So much much more different how they both, like, spend their time. Yeah. It's honestly really fascinating. Like, I I know you said you're probably not going to be really interested in the original, but I would say... If you ever get the chance to, check it out once in all. Oh
2: yeah, I imagine it's fascinating comparing the two, yeah. comparing and contrasting the two. Yeah, it really is. It's like I said. Like you could write a whole article about it, analyzing it. Like I said at the start, night and day, these two shows are. Yeah, I imagine like there's also different priorities, writing-wise, that you can like pick out in both in terms of like characters
1: and like which themes are like being focused on more, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's gotta be pretty fascinating. Yeah, so with Uo-chan, back in middle school, she used to be in a violent street gang, and her biggest inspiration was Kyoko the Crimson Butterfly. She gives anything to meet her, and, like, one of her gangmates suggests that, hey, maybe she goes to the same school as her kid, because... They heard she had a daughter maybe she's around the same age as her and it turns out uh, crimson butterfly does have a kid and her kid is none other than our plain strange and spacey Todu. and this shocks uo as like how can she be the daughter of a famous biker and one comes as uh, another shock is that she actually meets the crimson butterfly kyoko honda played originally by julie mayfield in the original dub but now played by lydia mackie Right, we've we've
2: heard her quite a few times
1: before in the series
2: already. By this point, yep. uh, as uh, Toru looks back upon the um, advice her mom has
1: uh, given her throughout her life, but uh, yeah, she gets she gets very heavily fleshed out here. Yeah, like definitely one of the biggest things is that uh, we get a lot more Kyoko in the reboot than we do in the original.
2: And then, that's when I, and then that's when you realize, oh, that's the other advantage of covering this character, because we get to
1: hear more about, like, about Kyoko. Mm-hmm. Ah, there you go. Yeah, so when Uo-chan meets Kyoko, she sees that her idol is no longer the tough biker she once knew, instead, just a regular, loving, doting mother. And Uo ends up hating Toru and Kyoko because she just can't stand how loving they are to, towards each other. But most of all, she's just jealous as she sees a life that she feels she can never attain. And yeah, Uo, she, she had it rough. And I mean rough. As she explains, uh, her mother walked out on her and her dad when she was only in the first grade. And since then, her dad has just kind of given up, devolved into alcoholism, and just, like, treat up Nicole X, his own daughter. Like, there's even a scene at the beginning of, like, these two parts where you see uh, Uo walk home. And uh, I, I noticed a detail where, like, she just opens the door. She doesn't have a key to, like, open it. Like, he doesn't lock his door or anything. Anyone can just walk right in. And then he doesn't even, like acknowledge her when she just walks in and she just goes into a room and just sulks there alone right despite all that it went down it doesn't stop toru from helping her as uo was getting chased down by some girls from a rival gang and toru found her and took her back to her place to hide and it was because of like this moment right here this care she received from both toru and also kyoko that she starts to eventually become close to them and like toru ends up being the friend she never had and kyoko honestly kind of ends up being like the mother figure that she never had right uh, there's still some issues, though, as people start to treat Toru differently just because she's hanging out with Uo. So she decides there's only one way to fix this and that she needs to start going straight and she needs to get her life back on track. And the first thing she needs to do is quit her gang, but they aren't going to let her go that easily as they have like, a bit of a, an initiation or, like a tradition where, like, okay, if you're going to leave our gang, then you're going to have to receive a beatdown from this, everybody. This is like the
2: resignation letter. Yeah, yeah.
1: You know, here's your receipt. As you see a lot in gang fiction, yeah. You, you see that more often with, like, initiations, though, I will admit. Yeah, but uh, luckily Kyoko is their saver, and I'll splice he in their little heart-to-heart scene here.
8: You awake? Kyo- Easy now, or we'll both fall. Plus, your legs hurt. <clears throat> Some older girl from your gang dropped by the house tonight. The one with the mole on her chin. She knew it was going to happen and that she couldn't stop it herself. So she asked for my help. Akimoto. It's just that I like her. You know how it is. If she wants to go straight, then she should. She said leaving the gang would be the best thing for you. So... Senpai. But anyway, I'm sure that quitting took a whole lot of guts. You did good. Don't say that. It just caused trouble, even for you. Oh no, it was nothing. All I did was shoo a few kids on back to their houses. I wouldn't call that hard. You know, this wasn't so bad. You had someone kind in the gang looking out for you. Many people have gone through a lot worse trying to get out. You really are a lucky one.
0: I'm stupid. I don't learn anything till I get hurt. I'm such an idiot.
8: One thing I've discovered is that sometimes you can't understand your feelings until you make trouble and get hurt. Sometimes we don't know how we feel until we're at our worst, then it all becomes clear. You can rebel against what's pure, but then, when you find yourself filthy, you start to long for the very thing you turned away from. You have to know gentleness to feel pain. Just as you only notice the darkness if you have the sun. You can't underestimate either. Because everything has its purpose. So, even if you screw up sometimes, it's never for nothing. As long as you make sure you recognize that, those mistakes will nourish you and help you grow even stronger. (laughs) At least, that's my theory. (laughs) (laughs) Listen,
10: Kyoko. I just… your daughter… I want to be Toru's best friend. I want her to be proud to stand beside me. That's the reason I quit.
0: I had to.
8: I was determined to make myself better for her, even if it meant leaving my old life behind.
1: But, yeah, like, uh, one of the things I like about this part here is, like, as she's carrying Uo-chan home, like, you don't see it, but you can see that Kyoko actually got a little rough with, like, some of the gang members, because she's got all scuff marks on her faces and all that, so you kind of tell that, okay, she's a doting mother now, but she's still got it. Like, you can't take away that crimson butterfly nature from her. Like, she yeah. can still kick some ass. Oh, yeah. But I-, I love this little heart-to-heart scene between these two here. And, like I said, I love how we get to see more of Kyoko in the reboot than we did in the original anime, because... In the original anime, we just got those flashbacks, and we just got Toru saying like, how much her mother is great, how much she loves her, and how much her advice really helps her out. But here, we see it firsthand. And nice that's balancing out of that to, like,
2: try to, like, give out more to those lesser, uh, to those characters that got uh, a little a little bit less than the original.
1: Yeah, and it's just something, like, when I was watching the original anime, I was thinking, like, man, it'd be great to actually see some of these moments. And just, like, now finally getting to see for myself how awesome Kyoko was was just, it just felt so great. After that, we move on to meeting another Soma, and this is uh, one of the parts of the reboot that I was also really looking forward to because I love these batch these of episodes with this character and another character later. So on a rainy day, Toro and Yuki run into Haru who's carrying something in his arms, or rather, someone. This is Kisa Soma, who's the Tiger of the Zodiac and is currently in her animal form. find out through Haru that he, uh, he's been looking for her because she ran away from home, and the reason she ran away is because she was picked on at school. Ah, uh, the bully. most vile of all knaves yes and the bullying was so bad that she completely shut herself down and has become mute like something that Yuki finds all too familiar and Kisa runs off again and Toru goes looking for her and when she does find her she also gets to meet her mom who looks like she's at the end of her rope like uh, we kind of go back to the, what Momiji said about parents of Zodiac Somos where like you know you either love them or you go to despise them and it just seems like Kisa's mom is like she still wants to love her daughter but she seems, she seems like she's just so very tired of all of this I do like that they like pull that, pull pull pull
2: that uh, pull that back a little bit though, because you think like, oh well maybe it's just gonna be like another like downward spiral again with this character or something. But then uh, the writing smartly uh, brings Toru into the situation to sort of bring um, uh, to uh, bring her bring her mom kind of back into reality to get her thinking about her daughter
1: yeah i guess like toru talks about her own experiences with being bullied and unable to tell anyone and then when she told kyoko about it like kyoko was just like happy to see that toru finally you know talked to her and he wants to help her and comfort her
2: i like that it shows like an assertiveness in toru to sort of like intervene a little bit mm-hmm. and to also um you know uh, show that uh, things are changing a little bit you know that like she's gonna be That she is looking out more for uh, the family
1: members here. Yeah, and Kisa is moved by this, that she embraces Toru, and then she transforms back, and we get to see, like, what she really looks like, a really, a, a young, cute girl. Yeah, very young girl. Yeah, but I, I really love this scene so much. It's it's really good. So to allow time for both uh, the mother and the daughter to heal, Kisa stays at Shigure's house for a little while, never leaving Toru's side, and Kisa always being with Toru is the cutest fucking thing ever. Mmm, yeah. It's so sugary sweet the way she just like walks behind her, you know, following her like a baby duck. Yeah, very, very kid-like. I like it a lot. Yeah, there was a bit in the original anime where there was, like, a bit of animation where Toru's walking, she stops, Kisa falls behind her, bumps into her, and then Toru just blushes and turns around and just hugs her, just like, ah, I love you. <laughs> <laughs> so a few days pass, and Kisa still hasn't spoken. Haru comes by, as, as he has been for the past few days, with a letter from Kisa's teacher wanting her to come back. And I will splice you in this scene here. Soma, I hope you're well
4: you think you'll be coming back to school soon? I'm awaiting your return along with the rest of your classmates. I want you to know you can always talk to me. And I think if you participate more in class, you can be friends with everyone. (sighs) The most important thing you can learn is to love who you are. Find something good about yourself and look to it when you're feeling down. If you hate yourself, how can others appreciate you? Self-love is the most important love we have. I hope of all my lessons you remember this one. I was right. I want to barf now. Kisa, I get it. I'm the same as you. There was a time when I stopped speaking for different reasons. Regardless, I talked to no one and I felt so embarrassed those days. I truly hated myself. I was so lost. So, I'm not sure your teacher's actually right. What does self-love even mean? How do we begin to try and find something good about ourselves when we're trapped in darkness? The whole reason we despise ourselves is because we can only see the parts we hate. So forcing ourselves to find good things feels pointless, like we'd just be making them up. It's a nice sentiment, but that's not how life works. Instead, I think it's when someone else says they love you, that you're finally able to start loving yourself. When someone truly accepts who you are, that's when you can start to forgive yourself, and suddenly see the good things you had all along.
0: Yes. Uh, You're right. Yes. She made me glad.
4: Kisa. What will you do, moving on? Do you still want to be silent?
3: (laughs) No. I can't. I need to be better. Or else... I'll feel like an even worse person than I do right now. Even if we aren't ever friends. Even if they keep ignoring me. I have to try. I have to change. Or
0: else...
4: You're right. Let's try. I will too. I promise. Look, if you get sad again, or life gets too painful, you can come back. She'll be here waiting for you. It's been so long.
1: I've missed your voice, Kisa. So, thoughts on the scene and Kisa's story? Um, well, definitely relatable to a lot of people, that's for sure. yep.
2: Yeah, lots, a lot of people have gone through bullying before. Yep. yep, so, uh, yeah, this, this can relate, this, a lot of people can, like, uh, empathize
1: with this. But, uh, what do you think of, like, the whole thing where, like, uh, you know, the letter says that, uh, Kisa needs to start practicing more self-love, and then Yuki st- says, like, you know, just saying that isn't enough. People who, like, go through, like, these dark times, like, can't really do that because all they can see are just, like, the parts of themselves that they really hate about each other. Right, right. In like... A lot of that is like a really good message and like a morals, you know. Like, before we can like practice self love, you need to try to find something that can also express their love towards you. And when you see that, then you can see all the good things in you, in yourself. Right, right. It acknowledges that
2: there is a bit of a, a give and take, uh,
1: sort of like trade that uh, sort of needs to exist out there, you know. Mm-hmm. And now that she's no longer mute, I can say that Kisa is played by Kate Bristol, who also played her in the original anime when she was just eleven years old. Really? Yeah. <whistles> nice. Yeah, uh, since then, she uh, continued acting, and in fact, one of her biggest moments in acting since voicing uh, Kisa is a moment that nearly broke the internet. Uh, She was in the movie uh, Pokemon I Choose You, you know, that uh, reboot Pokemon movie? Right. And she played Pikachu in that moment where Pikachu talked to Ash. (laughs) Like, you've seen videos of that where Pikachu talking, and then like people in the theater just going nuts going, what the hell?! <laughs> <laughs> really? I yeah. didn't know that.
0: Pikachu...
8: Why won't you get... I Pokeball?
0: It's because... What? The fuck?! Because... <laughs> I always want... No. To be
6: with
1: you... <laughs> <laughs> and I remember like, after the reaction got out, like, she went on Twitter going, like, yeah, I'm proud of this. Ah, uh, there you go. <laughs> yeah. When I was crazy that they got her back. Oh, nice. Yeah. And apparently she's back in uh, Texas full time. Now she's doing more uh, other uh, Funimation dubs.
2: Oh, really? How nice. Yeah. I'm glad to see. Yeah, because, like, yeah, pretty young back
1: there. Pretty young. But, like, still found her way back after all these all yeah, years. And still kept acting. Like, she's probably, like, a little older than we are. Mm hmm. So, yeah, after we were introduced to. Uh, Kisa, we're introduced to another Soma who comes by to the house as they want to meet Toru. And this is the uh, child mentioned before of the innkeeper at the Hot Springs. And their name is Ritsu Soma, played here by Mike McFarland, who also played them in the in the original. Oh, okay. And this well, is, he's been in the game for so long, so is, that doesn't surprise me. He's one of the OG Funimation actors. Oh, yeah. And uh, they are the monkey of the Zodiac. So, uh, what do you think of Ritsu here?
2: Um... Well, the voice—it's—it's—it's—it's uh, it's, it's, it's on and off with me. I will say, it's—it's it's on and off with me. Like I like the character. I like the character hmm. fine enough. But uh,
1: the, the gimmick—it's—it's. Uh, it's, I'm, I'm a little—I'm a little on and off with it. I will say. Yeah, because the thing is, with uh, Ritsu here, uh, we find out a lot—we learn a lot about them because it turns out, uh, despite dressing like a girl, uh, Ritsu is actually male and is right. just a uh, crossdresser. They, he says that uh, the reason he does dress like this uh, all stems from when he was a little kid and he just felt really comfortable in women's clothing. Right. Right.
2: Yeah. But it's, it's like the voice, though mm-hmm. it's the it's the voice and like the personality and stuff. Yeah. It's 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 a mix that's like it's sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't
1: work for me. Yeah, because uh, Ritu has a very neurotic personality. Who yeah, very
2: neurotic personality.
1: Just like anything that goes wrong, he just instinctively just apologizes and like really screams out his apologies. This this is this is where the '90s tendencies like started
2: to push a little bit for me. Mm-hmm. I will admit, yeah. Not not too hard, not too hard. I still like the character. Yeah, like a really. Good but character. it was it
1: was it was pushing a little hard for me. Yeah, my
2: my patience was being
1: tested. <laughs> <laughs> like if you were around Ritu, you'd just be like, okay, dude, just
2: I would need to go into the other I room. I would need to go into the other room and like decompress a <laughs> little bit, take a few breaths, and then go back
1: into the fray. <laughs> like it, it was it was tiring. <laughs> mm-hmm. And, uh, to go into a uh, difference between this and the original, in the, uh, in this, it, it, was also only, like, uh, one day they spend with Reed Sula and, like, after that, uh, his story is done, but uh, in the original anime, they actually spend a few days with him, it's like them trying to help Ritsu gain regain their confidence and everything like that, and they just spend a little bit longer time with him. Mm-hmm. But uh, in both the original and this, we still have the moment where uh, Toru and him have a very like nice heart to heart, where like uh, she helps him realize that he needs to keep on living, and that the the best way he can do that is that she suggests that maybe he can find someone that he can live for, you know, a special someone, whether they be a lover or a family member or a friend or anyone like that.
2: Only anything except kill yourself. Please don't. Please
1: don't jump off the roof.
2: Please, we, we, we need to take this more seriously than we
0: actually are.
2: Shikurei, why are you not freaking out? Hey Ritsu,
1: do a flip. <laughs> do a flip. You would totally say that. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> I don't know, there was something about, like, Ritsu standing on the roof, and then, like, Toru's the only one freaking out, and then everyone's just like, "Ah, oh, this again. Well, he's so
2: melodramatic, yeah, he, you know, he is so... Yeah, he is a drama queen.
1: So, he, they react like, he's fucking done this before. Yeah, I, I can totally tell he did do this before. Well, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's, he needs to find that special someone, and maybe that special someone could be uh, Shiguri's editor, Mitsu, because they're both very similar in that they're both very neurotic, and that they have a tendency to apologize for, like, all the very little things... But even then, like, they both notice that about each other and they're, they're all like, huh, I kind of have a kindred spirit, see a kindred spirit in you. Yes, pl- pl- please just be friends and not, like, kill yourself. <laughs> please. You have, you have so much more to live for. Yes, like each other. Please. So apparently here's a, something I didn't realize until uh, doing some research about Ritsu is that, uh, unfortunately, after this, he doesn't make another appearance in the series. Really? Yeah. Like, apparently, uh, Takia had planned for Ritsu and Mitsuru to develop a relationship, but she couldn't find a place to uh, fit it into the story. So, wait a minute, we're talking about, like, even
2: in the manga, even too. Even in the manga. Even in the manga. Even in the manga. This is the only appearance of the character.
1: Yeah, I par- guess so.
2: Despite the fact that they make a big deal about the Zodiac <laughs> being united as a family and, like, being in, like, togetherness and shit.
1: Yeah, apparently, this is it. Really? Yeah. That surprises me, actually. Yeah, that really me too. surprises me. Yeah, like, when I read this up, I'm just like, Really? And I just looked up more and I'm just like, oh my god, wow, he doesn't show up
2: well again. All these different threads between these other characters, all these different relationships,
1: and yet, like, this is the character that couldn't fit? Yeah, because I guess she couldn't find a way to at least fit Toru into, like, his relationship with Mitsuru? That
2: makes no sense yeah, to me. Yeah, it's really
1: weird. That is really odd. Yeah. I don't get that. I don't get that either.
0: You,
2: It's like you juggle all these other characters and this is the one you can't juggle?
1: Yeah, it's, it's so, it's so odd. Like, I, I, the, it, that baffles me. I don't get it. Like, maybe it has something to do with, like, Takia's hand injury, and, like, when she came back, she just wanted to, like, get the story over with, or something like that?
2: It, maybe. I don't know. Like, <laughs> I just don't, I, it just baffles me with this one character. I don't know. Maybe, maybe they just felt like, I don't know, maybe they just, maybe she just felt like she got, like, a dud, like, personality-wise or something mm-hmm. like this. just didn't,
1: like, gel well enough to, like, she, bring back. Maybe she felt like she couldn't really add more to him.
2: Like it would like this character was like 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 she really like, wrote all there was to write about this character. Yeah, I that still doesn't sound like a good reason though. It mm-hmm. still doesn't sound like a good explanation to me. But hey, you know, I'm so confused now.
1: <laughs> but hey, you know, anime they could potentially uh, do more with them.
2: Ah, uh, but that would be that. That's an interesting question because then you would get in the realms of creating original
1: content. Yeah. So, but she is hands on so maybe she like could think of some new stuff that can help with the writers.
2: Uh, but again it's another it's another question of like how hands on is mm-hmm. she though in reality? Like how much influence does she have? I'm Pretty sure she has like a huge influence on this. But could she make new content? That's that's the one question I that's in my mind. I think she could because I heard
1: she really regretted not putting him in, into the story.
2: I don't know because I know because I know certain productions they can be <laughs> they can be like very hands on with the production but sometimes the creator just completely hands off, you know, in with like certain section in like certain situations.
1: I don't know. I feel like if she could she should definitely like definitely like try to add some more with Ritsu. Yeah, we will need to see. We'll need to see. We'll see. So afterwards we move on back to Kisa as she continues to spend more time with Toru. It's it just seems like uh, Toru just has like a little sister at this point. Yeah. <laughs> like there was the one line where like she just hugs uh Kisa and you just hear and Shigeru just says, Oh, it's an explosion of cute and I just said and I just thought to myself, that's a series in general. Yeah, that is a proper summation However, a certain someone doesn't take kindly to Akisa Spending all this time with Toru That certain someone is Hiro Soma Played here by Lucy Christian but was originally played by Aaron Dismuke when he was only nine years old in the original. Ooh, wow. Yeah, it was one of his... Okay, uh, I, can belie- I can
2: believe I can believe him not coming back for that. Yeah, because... his voice changed greatly Yeah, because, like, uh,
1: to compare it, uh, the voice Lucy Christian does here is very close to the voice uh, Aaron did back in the day. And as you hear Aaron Dismuke now, you know, as characters like uh, Amajiki and uh, My Hero Academia or Senku and Dr. Stone, you can see, like, yeah, Purity has hit him like a ton of bricks. But you know what? He rolled with it, though. He did roll with he it. He rolled with it, and he he found his niche afterwards. Yeah, and also, uh, cool thing about uh, how he got the role for Hero originally is that he w- he is uh, Justin Cook's uh, younger cousin. Oh, okay. Yeah, so that's how they found him, and, now, and then since then, the rest is history, because he would go on to be Al in Fullmetal Alchemist and then continue to be acting in, like, a lot of other Funimation shows to this very day. Nepotism, it works. <laughs> it always works. <laughs> Though Eren obviously can't, couldn't come back to play Hero. he still does make his presence known in the reboot, hint hint. Anyway, Hiro immediately takes a dislike to Toru, which I thought would be physically impossible, because how could anyone dislike Toru? Yeah. I know,
2: like, I was looking at this kid like, you little fucking shit. Like,
1: you even like human. You talk down to Toru, like... It's just like, you no know, Gonna have a talking to you here. Yo. Keep belittling her like this. <laughs> but uh, luckily, thanks to uh, little help from Kyo and uh, Kisa, they're able to kind of, like, calm him down a bit. You know, Kyo scolds him to be like, hey, stop being such a little shit. And then we still find out that uh, he is the sheep of the Chinese Zodiac after uh, Toru messes with him and hugs him as punishment for him being mean to her. And he just turns into a little lamb. little lamb. So we find out why Hiro is acting this way. It's because he's super duper jelly of Toru and her relationship with Kisa. And that's because he's in love. Little kid, little Yummy's in little kid love. Little kid crush. But despite this, he's been rather dis- distanced from Kisa, and all signs point to this being because of Akito. See, Hiro confessed his love for Kisa to Akito. He felt it would have been best to just inform, it, inform them rather than keep it secret. But Akito didn't like that and took it out on Kisa. Like, they even put Kisa in the hospital. Like, that was, it seems like it was that bad. Right, right. And between this and uh, what happened with Hatsuri, you can just tell that uh, Akito just has something against the Soma's falling in love. And Hiro just felt so awful for what happened that he began to ignore Kisa to prevent any further harm coming from her. And Kisa's bullying just occurred soon afterwards, and Hiro was just unable to help after just ignoring her so suddenly. So he became angry at himself, he just took his anger out on Toru because he just wanted to help her, but couldn't. Because what if Akito found out, but he just can't leave her alone, it's just... It's all a lot for, like, a little kid who's, like, only in the sixth grade to deal with. Yeah, like,
2: a lot for, like, this little kid who's, like, talking like a, like like a, like a tenth grader or
1: something. (laughs) (laughs) Very verbose, this kid. He is. However, Tor is able to comfort him in saying that it takes courage to admit that he still wants to protect Kisa despite all that happens and being so young. You know, like, uh, what do you think of, like, Hiro and, like, him wanting to be, like, a prince to Kisa? Um, I feel like I need to see more of the character
2: to be honest. <laughs> Cause like it's fine enough here, you know, but he's like only here just for this at this point in the season. He's not like around consistently like some of the other characters, you know. Mm-hmm. You know. Not even as much as like Kagura, too. Like Kagura gets more than this kid. Yeah.
1: So it's like I would need to see a little bit more of this, but like I still thought it was cute. It yeah, was it's cute. It's a good setup for like yeah. what we're gonna see from him. You know, hero needs to live up to his namesake, you know. I'll be a hero! (laughs) Anyway, after we meet Hiro, we need to... Let's uh, check in on uh, Toru's other friend, hana as we... Oh, right, we gotta go through her
2: story now, too.
1: Yeah. The anime just remembered that. (laughs) (laughs) And also, uh, while this anime remembered it, the original completely forgot about it. Oh, yeah. Yep, naturally. So, it kicks off with Hanajan John being visited by uh, Motoko and the rest of the Prince Yuki fan club as they uh, want to find out her weakness in order to take her out. You know, that way they can eventually take out Toru so they can have Yuki all to themselves. Gotta get close to her and find her weak point and then strike just, with a, a strike
2: while the iron is hot. And Then eliminate her. Really like co-op. Really like Black Ops shit they're
1: doing here. They really <laughs> are. Like, I can just going the, the extra mile to like. Really, like, screw things over. Like, when they go to her house, I like, can imagine them doing, like, some kind of hitman-type shit where they kind of, like, hide some drugs in her drinks or, like, kind of walk up behind her with, like, fiber wire or whatever, doing whatever they can to take her out. Jesus Christ. But uh, Hanachan does a back down from a wave battle and when, with the help from her little brother Megami, uh, originally played by Holly Townsend, now played here by Leah Clark, and they are able to, like, drive her away, and I also can't really get enough of Hanachan just messing with these girls, just sending them away with her wave powers. It's a pretty lighthearted episode
2: where, like, they're, they're just kind of, like, creeping out these girls and, like, just, like, playing off them real
1: well. Right. Mm-hmm. Though they failed in their mission to, uh, find a- her weakness, we do discover that she indeed does have one, and that weakness is Toru. Probably the most low-stakes episode of the series, I would say. Yeah, it's a very nice episode. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, this was the episode where, uh, Motoko originally appeared in the original anime, like, this was her debut here. Mm-hmm. So then we get her backstory, and like with Uo-chan's, it's super depressing. So it turns out Hanachan's powers are actually legit. It's like, hey, we live in a world where people transform into animals. A girl with supernatural powers isn't out of the ordinary. Yeah, it's it's
2: one of those series where like it just it just exists in the yeah. world. These kinds of magical concepts, and like you you're not really expected to like ask like what else exists in yeah.
6: this world. <laughs> <laughs>
1: It's gonna chill like that. Yeah, like, her parents and her grandmother are, like, generally accepting of that she has powers and, that like, they need to do something with it. You know, as it happens, you know, your, your daughter's just born with magic powers. <laughs> to be honest, I kind of like to think that uh, Hanachan here is a, is a stand user. So, like, and the reason why we don't see anything is because no one else is a user and, like, only stand users can see other stands.
2: Right, because we, we see her getting uh, uh, bullied as, like, a, as a little girl and stuff. It's really, really
1: terrible shit. Yeah, like, throwing, like, nudes into her food and saying, like, hey, you're a witch, why don't you eat it, you dumb witch, and just, like, shoving her to the ground and everything like that. It's it's nasty stuff.
2: But then she, like, wishes bad stuff to happen on, like, one kid, and then the kid, I don't know, like, suffers a stroke or something. Yeah, it's like a heart attack or something. (laughs) That was her stand. Her stand was working. The power of her stand, electric boogie.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Oh, come on, I know you can come up with better than that. (laughs) I'll workshop it. (laughs) Oh, yeah, but yeah, since that incident, uh, all the other kids begin to, like, just absolutely just shut her off and just be, like, absolutely prejudiced to her because, you know, they accuse her of attempted murder. Eventually, once she reaches middle school, she's transferred to another school in order to get a fresh start, and that was when she first met Uachan and Toru, and I love how on her first day, they're just instantly drawn to her. You know, Uachan's like, hey, I know you're gonna eat lunch by yourself. I don't want that. Come over here. You're sitting with us. Yo, we're all misfits over here. Let's be misfits together. And, you know, Hanachan's all like, no, I bring darkness to you. And Toro's like, wait, am I the kind of person who also brings darkness? And then, Uchan's like, yeah, <laughs> I bring a lot of darkness. I'm kind of like that. We're all the same. Darkness, girl. Let's chill. I like that. Let's bring darkness together. It's pretty dope, bro. <laughs> <laughs> I'll drink to that. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, this eventually leads to Hanachan to uh, hang out with them. And so far, no incidents happened with their power since then. That is until one day a couple of girls bring up Hana's past as they heard the rumors and the memories of her cause her to unintentionally use her stand powers against another girl. It's her stand, Season of the Witch. <laughs> ah, that's even better. <laughs> yeah, she becomes afraid that her power of her powers again, but Toru consoles her and she and Uo tell Hana not to distance herself and they really want to help her in a really great scene. That's also... Not only, like, well-written, but also really well-directed, too. Yeah, yeah, quite well. And it's all thanks to her friendship that Hanachan was able to control her powers, and she never uses them to hurt anyone ever again. Oh, she does use them to, uh, attack the Prince Yuki fan club, but that's more chastising than hurting. It's, it's, it's cool. Yeah, unless she senses,
2: like, an enemy Stand user, you know? Like, (laughs) like, Dio coming around
1: the corner to, like, try and ask if he wants to join her in Egypt. Like, (laughs) fight off another teenager. But uh yeah with this and uh Uchan's backstory I just love that we got more of them here and we just got, and I just got to see more of their story because I really loved them when I first watched the original series but it's just like man it'd be great if there were more and we got more. I feel like you could maybe make
2: like a legit like um concern about like the placement in the
1: story. Mhm.
2: Because, you know, this is, like, tail end of the series. Yeah, this is near the end. And this is where it gets dropped in. I thought that was kind of weird. Yeah, like... Like, this, like, eh, maybe, like, more towards the middle of the series. Maybe could they could have, back to back it with Uo-chan's story. Right, right. Just, just just, story-wise and, like, escalating the story and, like, the characters and their arcs and stuff. Like, this would have fit better
1: early, earlier in the season. Yeah. I will say that was one thing that the original anime also did pretty well is that, uh, certain structure of certain episodes because, uh... When we got to the episode with Kisa, it was immediately followed by the episode with Hiro, so it kind of, like, you know, we got the two-parter there. Right, right. And also, interestingly enough, uh, Ritu only appeared near the very end of the original series, like, right before we get to the the really heavy shit at the end of the series. Oh, okay. Yeah, like, so, yeah, do, was...
2: doing all that stuff? That quirky kind of stuff? Like, right before that heavy shit? Yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, okay, wow. Yeah. <laughs>
1: But yeah. Speaking of uh, heavy shit, we're gonna we're entering the home stretch here as we make it to the last uh, three episodes of the series. And during this part of the season, we have our intention turn to Kyō and his relationship with Toru. It begins with Toru going through some hard times as she first fails an exam, then gets really sick, and everyone's obviously worried about her and does whatever they can to help. But most of all, it's Kyō who really tries to help Toru here. He does cooking for her. He tries to cheer her up when she's feeling upset about failing. But you know he does it in his own kind of Kyo way, where he's kind of being rude, but he's just tr- at least still trying to make an effort to like cheer. Toro he's doing it. He's doing it. He's doing it the Kyo way. Yeah, you know there's there's three things. There's three ways to do things: the right way, the wrong way, and the Kyo way. Isn't that the wrong way? Yeah, but faster. <laughs> you know, Kyo wants Toro just to just be the, be our happy, cheerful self again, and you can really tell that he just finds comfort in just being around her. And there's another scene that shows that later on when they're uh, walking home in the rain and Toto offers him to, like, hold an umbrella for him, you know, share my umbrella, Kyo. He refuses, but then we get, like, a really nice shot of him just giving a nice warm smile, just thinking, like, you know, she thought of me there and that's all that matters. I like this. Yeah. And this smile is noticed by a peculiar man on the street. And we are introduced to Kyo's master and the Soma family martial arts instructor, Cosma Soma, played by none other than a returning Damian Clark. Oh, how nice. Yeah. I just noticed that there's a lot of people in the reboot who were also in the original that are also in Dragon Ball Z. Yeah, can we
2: just... Yeah, I had to, like, recognize the name for a second, but I just never realized. Damian Clark. Cell. Cell. Handsome Jack? Handsome Jack, too. From Borderlands? Yep. I was just like... Okay, I only knew him before for those two roles, but...
1: Wow, he did Fruits Basket? Yep, he did Fruits Basket originally and in the reboot here. Okay, wow. Like... Why did this guy not get more roles? I think it's because he moved to, like, uh, L.A. to focus more on, I think, video game acting and hence Borderlands and all that. I guess. Because, like, whenever but, like, he comes back for Funimation, he only really comes back for Cell, or in this case, Cosma.
2: Yeah, I, like, I don't know, and he's got a good voice his on him, has too. He a great voice. He does have range. I've, I've never understood why he didn't,
1: like, uh, pursue, like, voice acting in anime more. Yeah, like, if you want to see a good example of his range, Cell, in Dragon Ball Z, like, as he goes from imperfect Cell to semi-perfect to perfect, like, how his voice changes from each three forms. Right, right. And he and he proved that even further with
2: Handsome Jack, where, like, he's just improv for most <laughs> of the game, and I was just like, oh, holy shit, this is actually pretty great. Oh, <laughs> uh, he's great from what I've heard of him. Oh, yeah, he is pretty great. The the, the the only good villain in Borderlands. Yeah. Three came out, and I hear
1: that didn't do do jack shit to no. really step things up. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, like, uh, a lot of the original actors in the, in the original series being from Dragon Ball Z, like, can you imagine what they were thinking? Like, okay, you're really known for Dragon Ball, and then you do, like, this really nice show. Like, can you imagine, like, the whiplash they went through back then? Like, nowadays, it's like... It's, like, completely normal to go from one nice show to an action show to, like, a different show from a different genre. But back then, like, when Funimation was just starting out, like, it would have been kind of weird for them, I bet. Yeah, I
2: imagine it would have been kind of weird. Although I imagine they probably would have been excited to, like, at least, like, do something that would show their uh, range and show that they can do uh, something... Uh, a bit more
1: grounded. You know, Eric Vale's going like, Oh, thank God, I don't have to scream a lot. Oh, yeah. But then Microprone's going like, Ah, oh, goddammit, it, I have to scream more. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he is the one that has to scream more. <laughs> we learn that Cosmo took Kyo in when he was a little kid, and we find out that uh, it's because uh, Cosmo's grandfather was the original holder of the Cat Spirit until it was passed on to Kyo. So through this one bit of dialogue, we actually find out more about how the curse works and that it apparently gets passed down from different Somas from generation to generation. Yeah, that was kind of implied before, but like... Yeah, but now we have, like, the real actually how it works. Yeah, well,
2: kind of. Like, do we know physically how it works? Not physically. Yeah, that's still kind of vague, but, like, we we kind of already kind of, like, had this uh, uh, general sense, I suppose. Yeah, but uh, what do you think of the
1: relationship, Kyo and Kazuma?
2: Well, just cute in general, you know, it's like a father and son. Yeah. And like, it works pretty well. Plus, you haven't really seen Kyo be this, like, chipper around, like, somebody like
1: this. Yeah, it's really nice to see him genuinely happy about something. Yeah, he's,
2: he's like, he's, he's like, actually, like, in a good mood when love, he's around this guy, and alone. Love, alone.
1: And I love that, yeah, he has to be alone with him to show his happiness, because, like, he can't, he doesn't want Yugi to see him smile. So he brings him into another room, and then he just goes up and say like, Master, I'm just so happy to see you. I know, it's very sweet. You know, he's just, like... It's just so... it just warms my heart just watching these two interacting. just Kyo being so giddy, being all like, oh, you're finally back? Can I come back to the dojo and be with you again? And uh, we also see like that uh, he's taken a notice of Kyo's uh, relationship with Toru as it uh, it kind of warms his heart too, you know, he kind of feels like there's something between them and how like, you know, Toru has like an ability to really comfort Kyo that no one else could really do that. And so he wants Kyo to s- just keep living at this house because he feels that uh, Toru's comfort can be very beneficial to him. But uh, the only way to truly see if this is true or not is that Toru needs to know his secret. She needs to know, and that's the only other way we can see that she can be the one to save him. And then we get the big reveal of the season, and I will splice it in. Listen, Master.
7: Whatever this is about, couldn't we have talked inside? You know I'm no good when the weather's like this.
9: My grandfather suffered the same way. Apparently, rainy days often left him feeling weak and ill. But is it the cat spirit? Or is it the spirit of your true form that can't stand the rain? It's time. To move forward, you must fully accept who you truly are. If you cannot do that, I
7: accept it now! I have for a long time. Being born with the cat spirit meant my life was already over. And that it's the rat's fault. He's the reason all this happened. Everything would have been different if it weren't for him.
3: This is all his fault. He's the reason this happened. So I'll kill him, and then I'll die too. Then you'll be satisfied, right? That's what you want. If I die, then you'll be happy.
9: I see you haven't changed. You need to make a choice. Is this how you wish to live your life? Covering your ears? Closing your eyes? Burying everything else beneath the hate you feel for Yuki? Is that the only way you can keep yourself from falling apart? If that's how you live, then that's how you'll die. Lost and alone. Like my grandfather. You hate it here. That's what you said. But it's not true. You're simply trying to run away. You realized you've grown comfortable here. This lukewarm bath makes you feel safe. Except, you're also scared. You don't want your true form to be discovered. Because of what you stand to lose. Instead of risking that loss, You'll run away and spare yourself the pain. No. Therefore, I will take away your escape route, and we'll see what happens. Will you lose what you found? There is no turning back after this, (sighs) Kyu. Let's see if your life truly is already over.
0: It's okay. It'll all be okay. Because I love you. That's why I don't want anyone else to see you. Don't look. Nobody look at my son. Don't look.
3: Don't look. It's disgusting.
0: (laughs) DON'T LOOK!
3: Really? This is Kyo's true form?
0: It's like some hideous creature from a nightmare.
3: What's that stench? It's revolting. Like the smell of something rotten. So, that's what it looks like. The true form of the cat spirit.
7: Oh she saw me it's too late it's over it's all over
9: now you've seen what Kyo's kept hidden the true form of the cat spirit that possesses him tell me does it disgust you frighten you repulse you to him, or from him.
3: not anything so awful like something rotten that was him that
1: was Kyo's other form so yeah thoughts
2: on Kyo's true form uh we we, we, we couldn't have revealed this in safer conditions yeah <laughs> maybe go behind closed doors in a secured area and show this off maybe that would have been safer <laughs> Seriously, all these generations, then they don't have, like, a fucking way to, like, really, like, get this across in a safe way. Because, mm. like, Jesus Christ, like, you're yeah. just unleashing
1: something pretty big. Yeah, it's just like, Cosmo's just saying, like, Toru, you need to see this, don't look away. And then he takes off Kyo's beads, which is what, you know, keeps his true form under control. And then as soon as we takes that off, we just see this grotesque cat monster. Like, this giant... I don't know, like Digimon thing. He, does look like <laughs> he a looks Digimon. like
2: a Digimon with like the pants on he and like does. the big deformed like uh, monster form. You know,
1: he's got like the big Popeye arms too. Yeah, yeah, he did. He kind of reminded me of that. <laughs> yeah, and also like the big, the big long ears. Like that specifically looks like that uh, one Digimon from the movie. Right, right. Mm-hmm. But no, like this form is just like so shocking, and it was a big reveal. Like I remember when I first watched the original series, seeing this going like, "Holy crap, this is." this is nuts and then just like uh, as you see toru just like she's just speechless at the sight of kyo and then kyo just like takes that as oh my god like she is just terrified of me and just runs away but you know what this whole form everything about this this doesn't stop Toru from wanting to wanting to help him at least. Yeah,
2: it's all in service of just a big moment where like Toru goes over and like you know consoles him and knows that like you know like I love you for what you are. You
1: know. Yeah, and I and I will splice in that scene too because it's so fucking beautiful.
7: If I'm going to lose her anyway. I won't hold back. I'll hurt her so badly that she'll never forgive me. So badly she'll never have to worry about me again. I'll wreck everything. So she'll never want to look back. I can't take it. I'm sick of losing people. Sick of pity. Sick of being miserable. Sick of having things forced on me.
0: No, honey. You're as human as anyone else. You turn into that form sometimes because of evil magic, not because there's anything wrong with you. You're back to normal soon after, right? That proves it. You're not a monster. It's okay, I promise. I'm not scared at all.
7: Liar. You were scared, weren't you? Isn't that why you checked dozens of times every day to make sure the beads were still on? I'm so proud to have you as my son. Yeah, right. If you were so proud, why didn't you let me go outside?
0: You're so adorable I have to keep you all to myself. You were ashamed of me. Sweetheart,
8: I love you.
0: I would die for you.
7: You know that, right? Why did you always say stuff like that? How can you love somebody when you never acknowledge who they really are? She loved you. Your mother loved you more than anything in the world. Stop
5: it! You're wrong! Don't force that love on me. I don't need it. I don't.
3: Let's go home Please We have to go home Right now If we don't I have a feeling Kyo won't come back to that house Ever again
5: Just go away No Don't you get it
3: No, I don't ah! 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 <laughs> scared. <laughs> Even though I know that's your voice, it doesn't sound like you. You're in a form I've never seen before. <laughs> and it scares me. <laughs> but, scared or not, I want to understand. If you need to talk, I'll listen. If you need to be selfish, I'll let you. I want to help you the way you've helped me. If you're feeling hurt or scared or weak, I want you to tell me so I can face it with you. Because because I want to keep living together. I want to eat with you, study with you, worry with you. All of those things. Please,
0: I just want they just wanna stay with you, kill.
7: The thing is, if she didn't love all of me, that would have been fine. Or even if if she were scared, I'd get that. Because being scared would have meant she was looking at the ugly part of me. But she never did. Mom used love to avoid seeing the truth, to avoid even thinking about it. But I wanted her to understand. I just wanted her to say we'd face it together. (laughs) To say she wanted to stay. Back then, I knew it was stupid. A kid's dream that would never come true. Because who would ever say something like that to me? That's what I thought. Until...
6: Toru. Toru.
7: You showed up. You showed up and things began to change. You started to melt away the ugly feelings and dark thoughts inside me. Bit by bit. Day by day. Why would somebody like you... want to stay by my side? Why... Would you cry for me? How can I ask you to? I know I shouldn't. I don't have any right. I know that it's a mistake for you to be here with me. Still. I find myself wanting to treasure you. To stay with you forever.
1: I can't help but wish.
6: Cause we'll
5: step closer.
1: The original anime, I really loved it, but it got me close to crying. Watching the reboot, I cried so hard at the scene. This scene just like I was full on balling, man. You know. guess it's
2: I guess it's all right overall I mean I think I guess I guess yeah it does do it does do the trick overall although I I did already kind of get the sense that these uh characters would uh would honestly pull through this mm-hmm. like
1: you know I kind of saw that coming ahead but yeah. um, but seeing it and like just like you know what's gonna happen but like actually seeing it it just make it makes me go just go yes i appreciated
2: toru also just getting like ragdolled by him yeah a little bit, she cause, does like,
1: that's that because i like that you gotta like sell the physical threat of the situation a bit and you know i gotta really sell the fact that he's just so desperate to like not let her get close to him in this form but like that doesn't stop her like she gets like her arm ripped up and she just like almost walks away but then she just turns around going like no i want to help you i'm not gonna stop worrying about you i would just want to be I want everything to go back to the same it was. I want to care about you. I want you to be with me.
2: Maybe it felt a little too derivative of like something like Beauty and the Beast to me or something. It really so kind of is, yeah. Maybe that's why it didn't like <laughs> gel enough with me, where I was just like, I wanted to like it, but I was just like, I feel like I've seen this before yeah. already. Mm-hmm.
1: But it was still a fuck. And uh, by the way, during the scene, we get uh, flashbacks to Kyo's mother, and I should mention that in the reboot and in the original anime, she was played by Wendy Powell. I mean, she did actually return for this role? Yep, she did actually return. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah, she's been out of the voice acting game for a while now.
2: Oh, yeah, she's been around for a while. I, I only remember this role because I remember distinctly uh, you meeting her a while back yes, at, 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 her, anime, at an anime con. Yeah, like one of her first anime cons. Was Was like, it actually our, no, I think it was our first anime yep, con ever, yep. Anime Minneapolis. Anna
1: Minneapolis uh, 2012.
2: Yeah, 2012, where, like, you met her there, and you just brought up that, like, one role, and she was super happy. She was super happy, <laughs> she for, was like, super happy and she was brought it up was that, like obscure that relatively obscure role yeah
1: because during that whole weekend everyone was just like "Ah, oh, envy envy everything everything envy and i just brought like hey Kyo's mother from Foods basket and she was like i remember this and like she even recited some of the lines as she was autographing my uh old uh, dvd oh how nice but now great to see her finally come back and as we come to the end of season one the following day Kyo it's a heartfelt farewell as he promises to be a better person from now on you know he wants to be someone that cosmo can be proud of and most of all, he wants to reach a point where he can truly call Kazuma his father. And I like the line Cosma says right before he leaves. He goes, I have no doubt you'll cause me trouble for years to come, son. Aww. And just this whole, this whole like really adding more to the relationship, all thanks to Toru. Like even Kazuma acknowledges that like she's going to be really special. Just don't let her go. I'm sure you're going to help resolve every conflict in this family. <laughs> you know, like I said, you're the Hey Arnold of this. You gotta help everyone. Oh, wait, she's the therapist of the family. There you go. There we go. There you she, go. She's the therapist yeah. in all this. You know, Akito may not, may not like therapy, but, you know, that's not gonna stop Toru. She's gonna sneak her way in and help all these Somas, whether they want to or not. There we go. That's the point. And, of course, as much as Kyo wants to be a better person, old habits die hard, as he just can't help himself from still hating Yuki. Like... It's just become natural to him at this point.
2: Well, it's also natural at the end of an anime season to give you a little taste of the familiar, too, to, like, end mm. things off on. So, all is all is right in the, wor- in the world. Yeah.
1: Even though their hate boners for each other continue to rage on, there's still a slight uneasiness coming from Yuki as he witnessed the entire transformation. And that was the first time he ever saw it. So, like, he's starting to think, like, huh, I really gotta really think my rivalry with him. And also Kagura too, as she left the house early that morning without a word, because that was her second time seeing Kyo's uh, true form, as it's implied she saw it when she was younger.
2: I'm sure everyone on their minds was just think
1: we're just thinking like, thank God I did not take that bracelet off of him. <laughs> just like, wow, like that thing's pretty pretty flimsy, you know, and bracelets tend to come off when there's like a lot of hyperactivity going on it's just like wow (laughs) dodge the bullet there yeah
2: (laughs) (laughs) everyone just like just collectively just unclenching their assholes
1: (laughs) (laughs) like (laughs) oh boy thank god this (laughs) one girl (laughs) came by (laughs)
0: yeah
1: i know toru solved our big problem here everything's right as rain gonna put a big note on the whiteboard in the kitchen there do not remove that 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 uh that bangle from his hand (laughs) (laughs) and so the season comes to a close as summer is upon us changes in the air and we get some interesting cameos of characters yet to come We have two students who make some passing comments about yuki and then we get a girl in a hospital named reen something so big is coming but that is a story for another day that day being this april as we finally get the long-awaited second season of fruits basket nearly two decades in the making and i am hyped to no end because finally from this moment on this will be the moment where i'm in all new territory everything is brand new from this point point on for me except for the people who read ahead with the manga yeah but (laughs) for me and anime only people or people who have only just recently picked up the manga like I'm sure the manga people are, like, satisfied to finally see this getting, ad- that shit getting adapted. It's, you know, it's like, uh, AZ at the end of Pokemon X and Y holding the Eternal Floette. It's just, it's been 3,000 years. Yep. And, uh, should mention before we close out here, a uh, big difference in the original anime and the reboot. As the final episode was completely different. Ooh, how different! So, I'm, uh, I'm expecting something big here. So the original anime ended with the, uh, the scene. The last episode had the scene where Toru reaches Kyo and she carries him home, and then uh, the second half of that episode, we have Toru confronting Akito, and uh, he tries to hurt her, but then she expresses sympathy to him as she knows, like he bears the core, the brunt of the curse. Like everything about the Soma curse is all on him. And Toru just, like, sympathizes with them and just, like, understands his plight. And then that's when Akito starts to have a change of heart and realizes that Toru, she accepts the curse. She, she doesn't hate us. Like, you know, I, and then I will allow her to keep living with the Somas as she can only do good from now on. <laughs> <laughs> okay.
2: I can see one re- I can see a big reason as to why some people would be disappointed with that ending. Yeah, In regards to Akito.
1: yeah, Because can... here
2: you can sense there's a lot more set up. Oh god, Akito has more than that. To, like, unpack the baggage with that character. So I can understand being angry with the original anime. And, like, tying
1: up that character like that. Mm-hmm. Like, there's so much more. And, like, yeah. Natsuki Takio probably saw this and go, like... What the hell are you doing? If I
2: were in her, in her
1: shoes, I would be pissed too. Yeah, like, first you make him a dude, now you do this. Yeah. But, I will say, like, it's still fine enough on its own, but, like, in the grand scheme of things, with, like, Fruits Basket as a whole, it's, like... Like, that's shitty. That you, you shouldn't do that. And it also seems like, from the sound of it, it seems like with all the stuff that they cut and, like, that ending, it seems like maybe they didn't want to do a second season. Like, everything seems pretty definitive here. Right. Now, we have come to the end of the reboot, and we can go for final thoughts. Final thoughts? Well, I was just you know, overall like impressed with it, overall. Like, this is a
2: legitimately great slice-of-life series that uh, I can just tell from the way it's written, like, really does stand the test of time quite well. It's, it's really lasted... It's really aged well, this <laughs> series, it sounds yeah. like. I guess <laughs> by the sounds of things, like, you know, a lot of, like, the big changes were... A lot, of the, a lot of the changes you see more throughout the entire thing are overall more in terms of, like, tone and uh, humor that they tried to um, uh, spy- jazz it up a little bit with. But the core story, uh, from what I've been able to hear, uh, holds up extremely well. Oh, absolutely. Oh, yes. Like, every, every char- like the, the way the, the author has, like, juggled all these characters and the relationships
1: and also their emotional baggage... It's superb. It's it's quite well done. Yeah, cuz she has like 13 zodiac somas. You have Toru, you have her friends, you have Akito, you have a uh, tons of other like side characters who do factor into the plot later on. It's it's kind of nuts how she was able to do this. And yet she still managed to like uh, like
2: actually write it all in a very like organic and well-paced way. Like it was it's it's from a writing perspective, it's quite impressive. And gets across like such great pathos and great themes of like unconditional love and like you know knowing that like you that like you deserve some level of love in this world that like everyone deserves like love out there
1: love and like everyone should have a place where they can belong
2: yeah this like sense of belonging and family you mm-hmm. know it's it's such great writing finding someone yard. to
1: look finding like that special someone that you can live for or that can help you discover what you truly like about yourself
2: yeah yeah, great, great series, great just series about, like, love in general that uh, I will say is, um, yeah, it's just, it's just, e- even by modern standards in, like, terms of, like, a romance, like, a shoujo manga or
1: something, it's, it's held up extremely well. I fucking love this. I love this so, so much. It takes everything I loved from the original anime and improved it a hundredfold, friggin' ten billion percent fold. Like, I love the stuff that they added, that the original cut out, and it just, it adds more hype for season two, because I just see the little pieces of long-term booking, and it just adds to, like, how Natsuki Takia is able to just weave and tell a story, just with, like, setting all these pieces together, and just able to, like, like you said, organically, like, have it all come together.
2: It all just feels very honest with itself. Yeah. It all feels much more, it all feels just very, like, uh, true, especially from what you, uh... Said compared to the original anime, it feels like it, it has a greater
1: identity of what it of what it really is. Yeah, like I, I hope I didn't come off as complaining about the original too much because I still really enjoy it. Like, oh yeah, no, I understand the original is like a product of the '90s. Yeah, definitely a product of the '90s, but it holds a special place in my heart, and I still considered it one of the uh, the anime classics that I feel that should be put on a pedestal in some way.
2: A very a very good series that was very much very much worth.
1: Uh, remaking yeah like it's a product of its times but it still deserves to be called a classic but i feel that the reboot is a new classic in the making like this is the series that i no, i would say it was already a classic to begin with oh uh, yeah yeah it's a, that's a better way to put it
2: yeah it was already a classic to begin with but it just needed a new bit of polish to yeah. uh,
1: really um help it gel with a new generation and i feel like this is the definitive fruits basket anime the reboot but like I said, I still feel people should check out the original just to see how the original, how that anime did it differently. You know, think of it as just another interpretation. Think but of it as a time capsule. A time capsule <laughs> for the '90s and early aughts. Yes, of how they did anime back then. Yeah, you know, just like watch the reboot first and then look. Like at, it's you know, fascinating. Look at the original anime and see just see like man, directing styles have really changed over the years, and like people's like. People's goals with, like, certain adaptations can, like, really differ from person to person. Yeah. Fruits Basket 2019 is, like, quite possibly a perfect reboot and possibly one of the best anime reboots out there. Like, I was struggling to think, like, are there any other reboots that could come close? Nah, because even some of the really good reboots do have its flaws. Like, Full Metal Alchemist Brotherhood had its problems where, like the first opening episodes were a little rushed because they were trying to cover the stuff that they already did before. That is the only stuff.
2: fucking, that is the only complaint I would give to the plot in that one though. Yeah, that was the only. Otherwise, plot. that
1: plot is fucking perfect. Yeah. But here, it's just like, hardly any flaws from like, this reboot as far as an, an adaptation point. No, all over, very sound. And we're still gonna get more. Yeah, season two, just coming out within like Very close. A month, yeah. Yeah, very close. Alright, thank you all for listening. I've been your host Mikey, and you can find me at my social medias at Mikey MikeyShield on Twitter. MikeyShota.tumblr.com, and MikeyShota on Instagram. Where can we find you, Ryan? You can find me at WolfishGrin on Twitter and WolfishGrin on Tumblr. Follow the show on Twitter at Anime underscore That's Anime underscore B-A-Y-B-A-Y. Subscribe, follow, rate us on Podbean.com, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, wherever else you get your podcasts, just put in Anime Bebe and whatever machine you use and you'll find us. And if you have any questions, comments, or concerns, please send them to at That's Pod at gmail.com. That's Pod at gmail.com. Please use this email. I made it for a reason. And March is coming up, and it's set to be a big month for us as we enter the final leg on the road to Anime Detour.
2: Yes, and uh, it's looking like we're going to be having our own little redemption arc next month,
6: too.
1: We have big big things planned for the con, but we have big thing planned for our next episode of the podcast. And it relates to uh, an event from last year's Anime Detour. You see, uh, last year we attempted to run a certain panel certain panel in which we tried to talk about a particular sports anime since detour was doing a sports theme that year and i thought hey this would be fitting and also kind of fun because it's also an 18 plus show and we can do an 18 plus panel for funsies long story short it was a total mess and a disaster yeah it, nothing went right during that <laughs> it was panel. the murphy's law of panels and it was just i felt so embarrassed after that <laughs> i don't know i look back va- I, I laugh a little bit it's funny it. but at the same time i'm just like ah, i wish that went well yeah because you, you had high hopes for that you really yeah. did like, it was our first 18-plus panel. Those are usually really fun from what our friends do, and I just thought, like, ah, oh man, it'd be great to get in on this, and it just, our first time was just... The audience took it well, though. The audience at least helped us out. Yeah, they did. Mm-hmm. But, uh, no, what I'm talking about is, one year later, it's time for redemption. On our next episode, we will be covering Keijo. And this time, we're gonna do it right. Oh yes, we will do it right. Although uh, I think
2: maybe I and maybe I'll I'll have even uh, changed a little bit on it uh, by that point as well.
1: At least from the original, from what we originally talked about there. Oh yeah, because opinions definitely change over a year. Hmm. Yeah. Oh yeah, we're doing that. No ifs, ands, but plenty of buts. Definitely. Until then, thanks again for listening. And this has been Anime, Anime Baby.
2: baby.
5: baby. True. Sadness, let tears do
6: It's an explosion of cute.